What's good, and welcome to episode 35 of the Helmets, Hoops, and Homies podcast. I'm Matthew Garcia, here with my co-host and homie, the Hoops Guru, Patrick Moore. What's good, P. Moore? What's up, homie? Pumped to talk uh, some pigskin, talk some hoops today. Uh, we have another kind of... Well, this one, th- this this uh, delay in recording isn't as bad as the last one, but we still have a lot to catch up on. We're right in the thick of things, both in the NBA and the NFL, so... We got to uh, we got to give the you know give the listeners some audio bliss. Yeah, you uh, you did your uh, like a lot of NBA teams too. You did your West Coast scouting trip, so <laughs> yeah, West Coast trip. So you got that out of the way. So we're back, there and uh, let's go ahead and get into uh, what we're drinking today, so we can get the show popping. So what do you what are you drinking today, homie? All right, so you know we've discussed on the show. I've been kind of all over the world on my uh, scouting trips, but. I'm happy now to be back in the Rocky Mountain region. So I'm coming to you today with a Rocky Mountain Kolsch from uh, Upslope Brewing Company in uh, Boulder, Colorado, where the Buffaloes roam. Uh, so yeah, this is a, a good Rocky Mountain beverage for uh, to celebrate being back in in Rocky Mountain paradise. Nice. So we got since we're doing a uh, since we're doing an award show, kind of a preseason picks here. Uh, I thought I would have my my champagne of choice, champagne. so I got me a Canada Dry Zero ginger ale. So there you go. So nice. Let's go ahead and uh, get it popping. All right. All right. So let's get it popping with our famous, our notable thirty fives for episode thirty five here. So we're gonna start as we always do in the NFL. So we have Alan Amechi or Michi. Neil Anderson, Robert Bailey, Drake Bell, Marion Butts, Rick Casares, Hewitt Dixon, Bill Dudley, Galen Fisk, Calvin Hill, John Henry Johnson, Jim Nance, not the play-by-play Jim Nance, <laughs> Christian Okoye, whose nickname was the Nigerian Nightmare, which is dope, William White, and Aeneas Williams. So we had three Hall of Famers on that list, and then going to some current 35s in the NFL. We have Jamel Dean, the corner for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We have Gus Edwards, running back for the Baltimore Ravens. Nickname is Gus Bus. Uh, also, when I was looking up his uh, his profile, I also saw that all of his socials, uh, his name is God's Gift Gus, which I thought was really dope. And Boston Scott, running back for the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, moving over to the NBA, some past 35s. We have Malik Allen, Roger Brown, whose nickname was the Raja, Jason Caffey, who was on that second Bulls three-peat team, Brian Cardinal, who has some nicknames of the Custodian, Citizen Payne, and the Janitor. Uh, Antoine <laughs> the Custodian Card- and the Janitor. Yeah, he has a Custodian <laughs> and the Janitor. So. Uh. Yeah, so he's he's got on both. He's really interested in the custodial arts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For a breakfast club reference there. So we have uh, Antoine Carr, whose nickname is The Big Dog, and Dr. Duncanstein. Now remember that, homie, because we're going to go back to that. Uh, we have Daryl uh, Carrier. Uh, I had to put Kevin Durant, the Slim Reaper, on here. He's been 35 almost his entire career pre-Brooklyn, so he's really notable and known for that number. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny Ferry, Armen Gilliam, whose nickname is uh, The Hammer and Black Hole. And we have Daryl Griffith, whose nickname is Dr. Duncanstein. 
So the odds of oh. having two guys wear 35 with Dr. Duncanstein, I'm like, wow, that's 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 crazy. So so two Dr. Duncansteins on this list. Then we have uh Chris Kamen, uh the caveman, Larry Keenan, special K, Super K, Joe Klein, who has the nicknames Taco Joe and Smokin' Joe from Slater Mo. He's from <laughs> Slater, Missouri. So Smokin' Joe from Slater Mo. It's kind of a riff on Smokin' Joe from Kokomo. Yeah, so I like that one. That was dope. And here's one for you. I know you'll like this one, homie. Rudy LaRusso, whose nicknames are the Ivy Leaguer with Muscles, <laughs> Honey Boy, <laughs> and Rough House Rudy. <laughs> <laughs> that's good yeah. what an eclectic group of nicknames i know right they're, they're dope. <laughs> so I, when i saw honey boy i was thinking like big honey mm-hmm. yeah so he's a precursor to big honey of honey boy um <laughs> reggie lewis uh from boston his nickname was mm-hmm. truck uh mark madsen the mad dog tracy murray another great name cincinnatus powell whose nickname was the big c paul silas nickname was papa bear the coach and Clarence Weatherspoon. So now going into, we have one Hall of Famer on that list, and there will be two eventually. Going into our current uh, 35s, there was only six players in the league that were 35 currently. So we have Marvin Bagley III, the Bagman. He hasn't played yet this year. He's been injured. Wenyan Gabriel, Christian Coloco, Romeo mm-hmm. Langford, Isaac Okoro, and Christian Wood. So those are our number 35. So what are your thoughts, homie? Mm. Yeah, I mean, honest, like honestly, when I was thinking about it, when I was, you know, I have my show notes and I'm like, you know, I list out the 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 the, the podcasts and like the topics we're gonna do. And I was like, 35s. And I'm like, the only person I could think of was Kevin Durant on both sports, honestly. Like I was like, kept trying to think of others, and all that came to mind was Kevin Durant. And there's some names in there that, like, when you go through them, I recognize them. Obviously, there's, like, a Hall of Famer or two. But I think just coming off of, like, 32, 33, 34, where both sports had multiple, like, all-time greats in those, 35 is, like, a little lighter on, like, Hall of Fame talent. But definitely some good names in there. Um, Yeah, Kevin Durant, to me, will always be 35. I I think he wears seven in Brooklyn, but I always think of him as 35. So – um yeah some some good picks there some good nicknames if nothing else um so yeah yeah not not too bad but yeah what are your thoughts yeah i I would say overall yeah definitely durant i would say a lot of really solid role players but i would say starting caliber nicknames for this list (laughs) some dope nicknames uh so i really like that and um for uh, gus edwards i think is a really solid running back he's just been injured the last couple years Mm -hmm. so he's really solid i mean a lot of running backs kind of plug and play in Baltimore. So, and Jamel Dean, I think, is a really solid corner for Tampa. So, yeah, a lot of uh, really solid, you know, contributors, role players, and um, starting caliber nicknames. That's my uh, that's my take on it. Yeah, we're kind of getting into a zone now where I feel like the pigskin, like football players, like the high thirties. I can't think of a ton of guys really in the high 30s but i mean who knows maybe you'll surprise me so it might get a little thin uh you know in the next couple of weeks but who knows i there there could be some surprises that i'm just not thinking of right now 
Yeah, uh, hoops. I know, especially for next show, for current players, it's going to be very thin, and we'll we'll talk about that next time. But um, some of these some of these random numbers, there's not too many guys in basketball who wear them. So yeah, so that those are our famous and notable 35s. So now we're going to move on over, and we're going to be kicking it here, talk some pigskin, and we are going to do a run, pass, and punt segment for. Uh, we're at the midway point, essentially, for for uh, the NFL schedule. So we're going to do a run, pass, and punt segment. So what this is is that uh, if you were going to say if we a team that we run with, a team that we pass on, a team that we're going to punt on. So basically what that means is if we run with a team or a statement, uh, you agree with it. If you pass on it, you agree you disagree with it. And if you punt on it, you're unsure or it's a push or it's even. So that's kind of the way we, we do things here. So... How about you kick this one off, homie? So who is the team midway that you're running with? And this is based off of our our own preseason picks for the playoffs. So this is yeah. not necessarily teams and how they're doing now. It's the teams that we picked for the playoffs. And it's a fun way to uh, laugh at how horrible our picks were, particularly my own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I can run, I'll, I'll kind of just run through my picks. Mm-hmm. But really quickly, not going to go. But in the NFC, I had the Los Angeles Rams, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Green Bay Packers, Dallas Cowboys, San Francisco 49ers, Philadelphia Eagles, New Orleans Saints. AFC, I had Buffalo Bills, Kansas City, Cincinnati Bengals, Indianapolis Colts, Denver Broncos, Baltimore Ravens, Los Angeles Chargers. So, I mean, not the best, could be worse. Um, but there are definitely some teams, like there are a lot, of, there are a couple teams in there that have losing records right now, halfway through the season. Um, so I kind of focused on those types of teams, the teams like, I mean, like, I think we can both say, like, obviously we're running with Buffalo, right? We're both like, obviously probably running with Philadelphia, right? Like those teams are really good. So I tried to focus on the teams that have kind of struggled um, that just, just for my own approach. So I'll go with the team that I'm running with, who has maybe struggled a little bit and given some folks pause. And we talked about them a little bit before the show, but um, I'm running with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, currently sitting in first place um, in the NFC South, which maybe, I don't know, you could argue the AFC West, but might be the worst division in football right now. Um, But they're they're in first at four and five, Um, really just like have been a kind of a mess. The defense has been okay. I'd say the defense has been good. The offense has been a mess, really. Like, it just completely disconnected. Brady has, like, looked good. Like, guys just, like, they they have been dropping balls. Like, Leftwich hasn't really run an offense that I think takes advantage of everything they have necessarily so far. Um, but they did put it together in um, their last game against the Los Angeles Rams who also have a, a good defense um, and Brady kind of gave us one of his signature comeback drives to win the game. I'm confident they're going to figure it out. I think as they get healthier, um, I think they had some, some injuries along the offensive line They they got to f- kind of find some, some more balance between the run game and the pass game. Like they just, they, they just like need to get Fournette going the third round um, player they have on their team, I can't remember what his name is. I think it's um, he's a third third round uh, running back that they took. And I I'm sorry, apologies to this player. I just, White. I don't. 
White, yeah. He he um Rashad White, is it or something like that? Rashad White, something he looked pretty good when they were running him the other day. So um I think they gotta kind of figure that that side out. But I trust their defense. Vita Vea came back and he looks like now that him and Akeem Hicks are on the middle, like their defensive line looks g- really good again. And I think that's what propelled them to their Super Bowl a few years ago. So uh, aside from having an all-time great quarterback. So I'm going to run with them. I think it's been shaky to start. I think they probably aren't going to have the best record, maybe nine and eight, 10 and uh, what would it be? It would be nine and eight or like 10 and seven, I guess. Like, but that's kind of how when they won their Super Bowl, they came in 10 and six and then went on a run. So that's kind of what I'm counting on again. So I'm running with the Tampa or the Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers. Um, so what about you, homie? Nice. So uh, I'll give my thoughts on Tampa slash Tampa Bay a little later in the segment. So I'm just going to go with the team that I'm going to run with. I'm running with the Baltimore Ravens. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go through quickly my my playoff picks. Um, they they're looking pretty bad so far, but it is what it is. It's all it's all in good fun. Yeah. So in the it's AFC, my playoff teams uh, were Las Vegas, uh, Indianapolis, Baltimore, Buffalo. Wild cards were Cincinnati, Miami, Kansas City. In the NFC, my division winners I had San Francisco, Tampa Bay, Green Bay, Philadelphia. Wild cards, uh, LA, Arizona, and New Orleans. So, yeah, I don't think those are as bad as you were making them sound. There, I mean, at this point, and the way it's looking, it's pretty bad. So we'll see. We'll see what yeah, happens. Yeah, but they were they were reasonable picks preseason. I think a lot of people made a lot of those same picks. I'll say, <laughs> you're, you're a good homie. That's all I can say. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna run with the Baltimore Ravens here. So. The reason why I'm running with the Ravens, like we said, we, I didn't want to pick a really obvious team. I wanted to pick a team that's more has a lot of potential and could it can kind of go either way depending on how the season shakes out. And yeah, I was very critical, and I continue to to hold that thought of John Harbaugh, where I feel like his his game his uh, decision in game has been very questionable at best. Sometimes the Ravens can look like a Super Bowl contender, and sometimes they can look like they're just poorly coached you never know what you're really going to get but they are on a three-game winning streak they've kind of looked a lot better and this is what guys going down as usual the receiving core is is uh very weak as usual in terms of definitely in terms of depth in terms of they don't really have a number one receiver once again Rashad Bateman's out for the year um so I mean of course and at the trade deadline the Ravens with defense with Roquan Smith which I think is a good pickup I would have liked to have seen them maybe chase at least another guy to get Lamar some some uh, kind of a security blanket on offense. So, and of course, they didn't do that. They just don't seem to be willing to do that for him. So, but the reason is the defense is starting to look good. Like I said, the Roquan Smith is going to shore up some of that uh, those missed tackles that they have been having. And guys are starting to get healthy. You're seeing Calais Campbell finally looking healthier now too. And he's just a huge presence, literally, um, on that line. And he's... He's always, every time he puts his arms up, he could possibly block, uh, you know, deflect the pass or block a field goal. He's just that he's that influential on a game. And I mean, and the secondary is looking better now, too. Like I said, this can go either way. Uh, they're from looking at their schedule remaining to me, they should they should finish no less than 
12 and 5 based on their opponents. It's a pretty soft schedule, I would say, overall. But you never know what you're going to get, right? But they should, they should, you know, make the playoffs. I can't say easily because nothing easy in the NFL. But they should make the playoffs. It should be, it would be a huge, huge um, collapse if they don't. So I'm going to, I'm going to stay with Baltimore. Like I said, I want to see if they can keep this up, if Harbaugh can kind of get out of his own way sometimes with some of these decisions and if Lamar can continue to roll. And if he does, I think he's going to, he's going to kind of inject himself into that MVP conversation once again, if they can, if they can win 12 games, especially with losing his number one receiver for more than half the year. So I'm going with Baltimore here. Yeah, good pick, homie. I think that's that is an interesting one because that they're a team that to me is they're so inconsistent, right? Like you pointed it out. Like sometimes they look like the best team in the league, and sometimes they look like they have no idea what they're doing. Like, and last year, you know, last year was a disaster. They had a really talented team, and you know, you can blame some of that on injuries. You can blame a lot of it on injuries. Don't get me wrong. They their their secondary was real banged up, running back uh, position was real banged up. You definitely blame to at least two of those losses on t- directly on decisions that Harbaugh made in game in the fourth quarter. So, you know, it's one of those things where there's a lot of what ifs with this team. What if the coaches had just gone with the more straightforward, obvious decision, right? Or the decision most of us would make. What if um, they've gotten Lamar a good veteran if not number one, like number two wide receiver at the trade deadline. So I, I, I feel you, I'm, I'm confident in them making the playoffs and, and, you know, being competitive in the playoffs. I think the thing I always worry about is it it sometimes seems to me that they're like trying to prove a point in the, in the, the moves they make in free agency and at the trade deadline where like, no, we're going to be a power running team. We're going to run and defense. And I think they're really good at that. I don't, I, you can disagree with me. I don't know if that wins you a championship in the year 2022. Like at a certain point in the playoffs, teams are going to sell out against the run and it's going to be up to Lamar to throw the ball, which I think he's gotten a lot better in that area. That was one of my like kind of biggest criticisms. He still has some walkie passes, but if his number one receiving option, I mean, Andrews is great. Don't get me wrong. Awesome tight end. They're good there. But if his number one receiver on the outside is Duvernay, like what are we doing here? Right? Like, so that to me is where I'm not worried about them making the playoffs, even getting out of the first round. Like, but when it comes to like winning a championship, I worry about, you know, their, their, their ceiling because like, at a certain point, and we've seen this with Tennessee in the playoffs, like teams are going to stop you from running it. Like it, that happens in the playoffs, and they're going to make your quarterback throw the ball. And I just don't think they put enough talent. And, and given, honestly, Lamar enough reps kind of doing that, running that kind of an offense. Um, but we'll see. I don't know. Maybe maybe Lamar just goes supernova and just does it all himself without the receiving talent anyways. That's, that's definitely possible. So, yeah, solid pick there, homie. Yeah, um, just just to uh, go off of what you said, homie. I, I agree with all your points. I would say, yeah, they're they're definitely one of the best running games and uh, running running teams in the league, for sure. And I mean, the old adage is that the two things that travel in the playoffs is good defense and a good running game. And I agree with that. But I'm I'm with you. I got to see it. 
in 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 today's NFL, I gotta see it still. But I do. I will say, I think if anybody can kind of put this team on his back and carry the offense, it is Lamar Jackson. I don't know too many other guys that can do that, and he's kind of been doing that for years. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I think they could. Like I said, I definitely. I still think he's gonna be the number one receiver, but I I, I gotta see how the year ends for them. But I wouldn't be surprised to see them. If they play up to their capability in a Super Bowl, I would not. Am I picking them right now? I, I got to wait and see. Because like I said, you never know with the NFL what's going to happen. But they definitely have. Sure. They definitely are that type of a team. And I mean, I think it's certainly possible that they could. And it's not throwing shade at their receivers. They have a lot of really nice receivers that you would round out your core with. But they're missing a one or a two even, I would say. Duvernay's right. solid. Prochet is a solid guy, you know, coming in, spotting in the slot or something like that. Um, and guys like, you know, Oliver at the tight end is fine, I think. And Andrews is really good. I like this this uh, this rookie, Isaiah Likely, I think is a nice yeah. backup. Looks good. He looks good. He looks like he definitely could be really good. So, I mean, and they got Deshaun Jackson, who's a kind of a burner. You know what I mean? He can, he can get you for one. Um, he's definitely not going to be playing every snap at his age now. But he can kind of get you one here and there. But I mean, we'll see. That they have some solid. They have some solid pieces. I just don't think they have that elite. I'm in trouble. Quarterback's in trouble. Here's my number one. I'm going to throw him the ball. He's going to make. He's going to make a play. They don't have like the, you know, that that guy, the go-to guy besides Mark Andrews, where it's just like he's. Just, I'm just going to throw the ball up. He's going to make a great play. Now, I mean, we'll see. Obviously, they have Robinson as well, who's solid. But a lot of really solid guys, but nobody who's going to. You're gonna say, well, we got to make sure we this guy can't catch the ball, and maybe they could use that to their benefit, where defenses can't really, except for Andrews, there's not really one guy in the pass game that you can say well, we got to take him away besides Andrews, and they have likely now too, where they could split out two tight ends, they could do like a jumbo package. So I mean, they could use that to their advantage if they're able to run the ball. This is a dangerous team, and in the playoffs when it gets cold, bad weather, depending on where you're gonna play, that's that that can that can help. So I mean, we can see. Uh, I'm I'm really high on them in terms of they can live up to their potential, but I want to I want to see it. I want to see more of it because we've seen this where they start off great and they kind of just you know make dumb mistakes and falter. So we'll see. But um, let's move on to the the uh, team that we're passing on. So who's the team that you're you're gonna pass on, homie, from your preseason picks? Uh, this one was super easy for me. Um... Because I think they're passing on themselves, honestly. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, oh, yeah. good God, what happened to this team? Um, you know, I, I don't know. Like, even when they benched Matt Ryan, I was like, they had like a 500 record. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you could in a division that has historically been like the, the weakest division in football. I mean, for the past decade, you know, like teams coming out of that division, you know, the Titans have kind of owned it the last couple of years, but, you know, they always flame out in the playoffs. They're not like some world beating team. Um, But I mean, ultimately they benched Matt Ryan for this kid, Sam Ellinger, who I watched a bit in college and even in college when like an average quarterback can look like a superstar. I was like, this guy, (laughs) I don't know. He's not doing anything for me. Um, And then they fired Frank Reich, which I mean, that was probably a long time coming if we're being honest. Um, But, and 
I don't know who in that building. I don't know if it's the GM. I don't know if it's Irsay, the owner. But whoever's idea it is, is to bring a new quarterback in every year um, needs to be fired. Like that never works. Like you can't just do a stopgap at quarterback. It's better to have a mediocre quarterback and some continuity than just keep flipping in new guys. And it's like none of the guys they were searching for were going to be the long-term answer. Like there was no way it was going to be, um, you know, it was going to be Phillip Rivers. Like we knew he was on the verge of retiring. Same thing with Matt Ryan, right? Like he doesn't have a ton of like years left in his career. I think he could still play, but, and then Carson Wentz, like if that's your idea of a franchise quarterback, like, you know, you better hope for a high draft pick. Like <laughs> that, that, that's, you know, so I just don't really know what they're doing. I don't think Irsay has shown himself to be a very good owner in, in any way. I think that franchise lucked out with a generational quarterback in Peyton Manning and then another generational quarterback in Andrew Luck. And now, pardon my use of a terrible pun, their luck's run out and they don't have a, a generational quarterback and it's showing. Like you're not a very well-run team. You don't have that superstar to save you anymore. So I'm completely passing on this team, um, not just for this year, but for like the next few years. Um, and honestly, like one of the, 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 the things that's most concerning is their strength the last few years was like their offensive line. And last year, especially their run game, they went from top five uh, in rush yards per game to bottom five this year. Their offensive line is just falling apart. Like, and they're paying guys big money at, you know, guard, um, Quentin, Quentin Nelson, um, and at a couple of other positions, center. I think Kelly is still at the center, and they're just not performing. I mean, they're 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 bottoms of the league in pass protection and run blocking. So, um, really, just not not much else going for them. And yeah, it looks like they're punting on this season, which I think is kind of inexplicable to me, but so, um, you know, they're basically giving up. So I'm going to just pass on them. Um, I think Tennessee probably runs away with this division. Yeah. Before I go homie, uh, give us your thoughts on the Frank Reich firing and then the, the hiring Jeff Saturday as the interim coach. And what are your thoughts on that before I give my thoughts uh, holistically about the team? Yeah. I mean, I never super understand like firing a coach mid season. I, I guess like you want to get a jump on, you know, whoever the hot coaching candidate is in the off season. I, I didn't think Reich was a particularly good coach. Um, I don't, don't think he was necessarily given the best hand he, he was he was dealt the best hand but I don't know he never really showed you know he's supposed to be a quarterback guy and their quarterbacks were mediocre to average every year even though some of them all of them like Philip Rivers Matt Ryan Carson Wentz had all been to Pro Bowls in the past so if you can't like make it work and bring out the best of these guys it's like what are you here for right um, so I get, I get moving on from him. Um, the, the Saturday hiring seemed to be surprising to a lot of people, but not really, I guess it was surprising in that he doesn't have like a ton of like experience, right? Like he wasn't like their offensive coordinator, right? Like that's usually where these teams go to, but, um, you know, he's a guy who has a lot of respect and definitely has a good knowledge of the game. Like he's been on TV doing kind of like analysis for a while. Those offensive linemen too, like those guys know the game 
better than most people on the field. And like, that's the thing that I think you hear a lot of like people who really know football. It's like that those are hard positions to play. You have, you have to be processing a lot of information. And so I'm kind of surprised we don't get more like offensive line guys becoming head coaches um, in the NFL than we do. It's usually like, you know, the quarterbacks, um, you know, or like a lot, you know, you'll see a lot of lot former linebackers go on to coaching gigs. So um, I like to hire and I'm, I'm glad they're giving him a shot um, to, to make something of it. And just like reading the reports, it sounds like the players really like him. And I think that's important, especially in a situation where it seems like your owner's giving up on you. Right. Like, and you know, there's been a lot of kind of chaos in the locker room and stuff. I think having someone like that who can actually relate to the players as well is 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 good. But you know, we'll we'll have to see. Let's see what he can do with this team and if he can show some signs of life for the rest of the year. Yeah. So from my understanding, the the reason for the Matt Ryan benching wasn't necessarily just based on performance, it was a financial decision. So essentially the reason why he's not going to play anymore and probably for the Colts ever again is that next year he's fully guaranteed $12 million. But if he gets injured and he's not able to pass a physical in March, then he's going to be guaranteed a lot more money. So specifically, he has about $7.2 million in additional guaranteed salary next year if he's injured and a roster bonus of $10 million, which is also guaranteed for injury. So we're looking at about $17.2 million that the Colts would owe him, in addition to that twelve, dollars so almost $30 million that they would owe him if he gets injured and can't pass a physical in March. So it seems to me like the team's not going anywhere. He's not playing very well, which I think is a lot based on the team. I don't think it's just because of him. I think he's not the sole reason, but it seems like it was a financial decision to save money. But it was just bad optics, I think, uh, for me. But that's that's my interpretation of it. I don't agree with it still. I mean, I think it's kind of taken the the cheap way out. But also, it's just like you're just pretty much giving up on the entire season now, which is ridiculous. Maybe they're just playing for a quarterback in the draft. We'll see. But wasn't a fan of that. And then when you said that the Colts, whoever has been making these decisions and these quarterbacks needs to be fired, I think that person was fired in Frank Reich. I mean, he figured out he brought in Philip Rivers, which it worked. He, they made the playoffs. They were competitive against Buffalo. But then Philip Rivers retired. So when he brings in Carson Wentz, his guy, it ended really badly. Last couple games, from everything I've heard and seen, uh, Ursay was like, no, this guy's gone. I think Frank Reich wanted to bring Wentz back, and Ursay wouldn't do it. So he's gone. He brings in Matt Ryan. doesn't work. The Colts have looked really bad this year. And I think the last, you know, Nick Foles is the backup. So I think a lot of it is just based off that and Ellinger's obviously was a Frank Reich draft pick too with Chris Ballard, the GM. So I think uh Ursay just kind of saw enough and says I'm done with it. I'm not I wasn't uh I didn't get the a lot of the hype for Frank Reich personally, especially based off his 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 the retread thing that you said. I would have liked to have seen them maybe develop a quarterback more than doing the retread thing, which, I mean, it's a bad position. I'm not going to put it all on Frank Reich, uh, but I'm going to say that usually the way it goes is that they're just in a bad position. They've been kind of trying to find a quarterback ever since Andrew Luck suddenly retired, and it's a bad spot to be put in when you think you have your franchise quarterback and all of a sudden, you know, during training camp, he's like, okay, I'm going to retire now for health reasons, which is understandable, but 
it puts the franchise in a bad position. They've been kind of scrambling ever since then to find it. So they're in a bad spot. Um, I don't know. I mean, Jonathan Taylor looks like he's, he would look like one of the best running backs in football last year. The O line hasn't been as good. So we'll see. I still really believe in him. I think he's a great player. And I, I think they could have a bounce back maybe if they can get the get the right quarterback. But I will say that in terms of the, the Jeff Saturday hire, I, I went with you. I like the hire. I like going outside the box here. He is kind of a franchise. He's one of the best players that's ever played for the Colts, I would say. He's definitely very – he was a very good player. I'd say borderline Hall of Famer, at least in the conversation maybe down the road. Uh, he played with Peyton Manning, who everybody in the league, all the pundits adore him, which is understandable. And, um, like, uh, he's he knows the game. He was the ESPN analyst. I've seen him talk with the game for a while now. And he's, I mean, and he's he knows he knows his stuff for sure. He he's uh he's kind of one of those guys that's like, you know, this is what I think. And uh he's kind of a take it or leave it kind of guy in terms of that, but he's also like really friendly and he seems like he really wants to 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 coach these to coach somebody or to just have you just talk football. He seems like one of those type of dudes, right? And obviously he was close with Ursay, so I get it. I mean, the only issue I would say is that it kind of just shows the the inadequacies of the Rooney rule in terms of that uh, it doesn't extend to interim coaches. I think they're probably going to change that, so it does. And I just do feel bad that if everything goes well, and even if it doesn't go well and Ursay just really wants to keep Jeff Saturday as the coach next year, that the Rooney rule interviews are going to be, you know, a sham interview, which which I'm not a fan of. I think it's embarrassing to the, the people who are, going in there just to say, yeah, you're not going to get the job, but we kind of have to do this. I don't agree with that either, which is disappointing. But, I mean, I think you pick the best coach based on who you think is the best coach. But that's the only unfortunate part I can find of it. But, yeah, the Colts, I don't know, very disappointing. I also had them winning the division, and it's, it's been a terrible year for them. And I'm with you, homie. Unless they, unless they can kind of find a quarterback, a young quarterback to develop, I, I don't really see – uh, a lot of great things happening. They could kind of, you know, the South is not really a great division, so they can compete. But I don't see them, you know, you know, being, you know, Super Bowl contenders anytime soon. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think, I think with Reich, he probably carried a lot of the blame. I'm sure he pushed for a lot of those trades. But like, I also get the impression Ursay is pretty hands on, right? Like you, you were the one saying like he wanted Wentz gone, like. And like, what's the general manager doing if the head coach is, you know, if he's picking the quarterbacks and then the owner is telling them to leave, like, what, what are you doing? Like, you know, so I just don't like the vibes they have there. It just doesn't, it just doesn't feel very stable to me in any respect. And um, yeah, I mean, they also have like the most boring uniforms in the whole league too. So they got that going for them too. So just another reason to pass on them. But, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, okay. the owner's not going to fire himself, so yeah, it, it is what it is. But yeah, it's not looking too good if you're if you're a Colts fan right now. Yeah. So, so who, who are you passing on? Home? Oh man, this was the easy <laughs> one for me too. You probably already know uh, it's it's the Raiders. Yeah. Uh, it's so disappointing. <laughs> um, I had them win the AFC West. I had a lot of their their players and coaches and and our awards picks, which is not going to happen though. I was saying Derek Carr's borderline top 10 quarterback. 
Oh man, it's it's been the only thing worse would be if they didn't have any if they were zero and eight. They're currently two and six right now, which is stunning. If if you would have told me before the year that the Raiders would be two and six, I would have said there's no way. I would have said four and four or five and five. I was about to say, at the worst, two and six, homie. Oh my goodness, they've just. I mean, the defense is, was the thing I said. I, I thought the offense would carry this team, and it's the opposite. The defense hasn't been great, but it also hasn't been the the main reason why this team is losing. I feel like a lot of this, this team has blown a lot of leads. You could say, well, yeah, that's the defense. Yeah, so the defense, I feel like, is to blame for maybe about a third of it to me, maybe a little bit more. But offense and coaching, I feel like, is the, is the main reason, the other two-thirds of it. It's been really bad. I don't know how you add – I don't know how you add the number one receiver, in my opinion, in football, and you are a terrible offense. You're struggling to score points with Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, a little bit of time. Josh Jacobs is having a career year at the running back position, which is all you could hope for from him. And your offense stinks. I just, I really don't get it. I don't know if like Carr and Adams don't really seem to have a chemistry. They haven't established that rapport yet. We'll see if they do. I mean, I think they they will. But it's it's very disappointing. I feel like if you're a a Raiders fan, but also just a, a football fan, because you were like, man, this is going to be great. We're going to have another team to kind of compete with, you know, the Kansas Cities and you know, the Chargers and all these hot, these like high octane offenses that we have in that division. And half of the teams have have kind of you know done their part, but the other half of the division hasn't. With the other team, we know which already is. But um, yeah, the Raiders have just been really disappointing. And uh, I'm I'm hoping that I don't have the uh, the coach of the year preseason curse here because last year we already know who that was. But this year I picked Josh McDaniels, and I, I think you might did you pick him too, homie, for your coach of the year? I don't remember. But oh, let me check on. That I think you might have. I know I did. So yeah, I did. I did. Oh man. So yeah. hope, this this would be the second year in a row. <laughs> if, if they continue to play this badly, if if they win less. If they win, you know, four games, five games, uh, I think Mark Davis might say, you know what, it was a mistake. I'm, I'm, you're fired, mm. and find somebody else. And you know what, I would, I would not, I wouldn't be real upset about it. I would be like, you know what, that's perfectly understandable. I get it, because he's already had a closed door meeting with McDaniel's already, and I don't know. We got to see. Like now, we got to see in these last nine games. Is McDaniel's a head coach, or is he just a good coordinator who had Tom Brady? We'll see. Yeah. So far, it hasn't been a good showing. I thought this was the perfect spot for him to do that. But I will say, even though he was number two when we were ranking our our, our the best hires, in our opinion, of the of the coaching carousel last offseason, we did say, and we did acknowledge several times, that why aren't they more serious about bringing back Rich Pisaccia? He brought helped mm-hmm. him get to the playoffs. The guys in that locker room loved him. Why don't they just stick with him? And yeah. I mean, I like I said, I like the McDaniel's hire. I'm not, I'm not second guessing it now, but we did say that several times in the show. Why not just keep him? They, they get good, got a good thing going here. Right. But I mean, it's too late now, right? We'll see what happens. But um, yeah, it's interesting for sure. Yeah. But uh, very disappointing. Uh, they've, they've looked awful, absolutely awful. It's been embarrassing for sure for them. I think uh, Adams is obviously very displeased. 
but the team he left is not doing very well either. So I mean, you know what I mean? Maybe because he's gone, maybe he's not. I don't know. But yeah, what are, what are your thoughts on uh, on the Raiders, homie? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't have them. They were the one team out of that division I didn't have making the playoffs. But I mean, I kind of figured they'd like end like 500 or something, right? And they just wouldn't make it because the other teams were so good, um, which, which hasn't been the case. It's kind of completely blown up. I I, I kind of thought the reason the reason I was skeptical about them being competitive was just their defense. I thought kind of all the other teams in that division had more happening on the defensive side of the ball. And that when they get into these shootouts with, you know, Kansas city or chargers, or at the time I was thinking Denver um, that they'd, you know, their defense would be just like have trouble making big sacks, big third down stops, but yeah, it's been the offense. And one of the things people did, I, I will admit, like some people did point this out before the season, like that offensive line was, was not, great going into the year and i think that could you know we see this time and again like teams with all the talent in the world at the skill positions at quarterback if you don't have an offensive line like that really diminishes the effect those receivers can have and the success that quarterback could have so i think it may be one of those situations where like you invested in kind of like the flashy you know stuff but you know didn't build the lineup which is like what I feel like is is how good offenses are really built. I mean, we've seen most of the good offenses of the last you know few few years have had above average offensive lines. It's no coincidence. So it could be that the McDaniel's offense has not looked great to me. Like it doesn't look like the creative, like innovative thing we saw in New England, which given the pieces and how much better they are in Vegas than they were there. Though, again, the offensive line in New England was probably better. I mean, that's just kind of disappointing. So we'll see. I, I think it would be a mistake to fire him after this year, honestly. But, like, if they get off to a bad start next season, like, then you kind of got to think about it. Just because I, I don't love the idea of, like, bringing a guy in and giving him only one year. I think that's usually a sign of pretty, like, bad franchises that do, like, you know – well, we love them, but the Jaguars, like that's a Jaguars move, right? Like bring in a coach, fire him after a year, bring in another one, fire him after a year, right? Like that's yeah. like what crap. That one made sense though. The Jaguars one made sense. You kind of had to. Yeah. Yeah. But with this one, like with this one, homie, like, like I said, would I be, would I be like, say it was the wrong move if they, if the Raiders go, you know, fall in 13 and they fire him? No, but I'm with you. I would give him at least a couple years, um, minimum year and a half to see. Mm -hmm. I mean, because you don't want your quarterback learning a new system again. You know what I mean? Right. It's a lot to put on your guy. I mean, you just expect that they're just going to plug and play in a new system here. And from everything I've heard, and I've heard Tom Brady talk about this. I've heard other players who've been in that New England offense. It is a very, very complicated offense. And I know that Tom Brady even had a little bit of trouble when he went to Tampa Bay or Tampa Bay and uh, learning a, a different offense under Bruce Arians because he was so used to the way things were done in New England, which is, of course, yeah. he's there for 20 years. But also it was just a, a completely different and uh, in terms of, like, the way plays were named, the way they were called. It's a very nuanced type of offense. This is not to say I think Josh McDaniels is, you know, the, the – 
greatest offensive mind in the entire world, and we're just all too dumb to understand his offense. I'm just saying he has a he's a very particular type of offense, and the way yeah. he does things, the terminology, the verbiage, is very uh, intricate or complex, I guess you could say. And it could take some time to learn it. Maybe Dave, maybe Derek Carr is just kind of still kind of finding his way. He's not completely comfortable with it. But with all that being said, they have been very disappointing. But we'll see if if they're bad again next year. Then maybe McDaniel's is just better as a coordinator. But I mean, we're gonna have to see. But it, it has been a bad, uh, a terrible uh, start to the season for them. And I mean, maybe they can pick it up. I had them in the punt category a few weeks ago, but. From what I've seen, they've they've lost games they should have won, and the offense just can't move the ball. So I don't know. So I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna have to pass on them, and hopefully you know things get better. For I mean a really talented, like you said, at the star positions, but we'll see. So let's move on to punt. So a team that we're on the fence about, unsure, kind of want to see where it goes type of situation. So who's the team that you're punting on currently at the midway point, homie? This one you might be a bit surprised by, but um, I'll try to give my justification here. Um, the team I'm punting on is the Denver Broncos, and here's why. Um, they're three and five. Uh, that's bad. not a good record. Um, they're third in the division behind the Chargers and Kansas City. Um, they pr- – I mean, not probably. I think they have the worst head coach in the league. Um, I think most people agree about that. Um, Russell Wilson, who I almost called just called what Russell Westbrook, which take that however you may, maybe Freudian slip there, right? Um, has not looked good. Um, so you're like, okay. <laughs> and they're in this division with the Chargers, who I think you know, can get in their own way, but are a really talented team. And Kansas City, who looks, you know, who has kind of maintained their spot at the top of that division as usual the last few years. Um, the thing, the reason I'm punting is the Broncos actually do have something I can point to, and that's defense. Like, they, they have a really good defense. Um, and even though they traded uh, Vaughn Miller, you know, last season – They've gotten rid of Bradley Chubb this year, which could actually like bring their defense down. They still, they've played well. They've been like a top five, top 10 defense all year round. So I'm not counting out Russell Wilson kind of finding his groove. And I'm not saying he's going to become like a top five quarterback or like the guy who wasn't, you know, prime, prime Russell Wilson in Seattle. But like, if he can become like, a good, like, you know, at least what we saw from him two years ago, three years ago, I think they can be a feisty team. Um, and, and the AFC things, things are volatile right now, right now they're on the outside looking in, but we can see how, how quickly things switch in like from first half to second half. I mean, this time last year, the Bengals looked dead in the water and then they went to the Super Bowl, Right. So, um, I, I just, I can't count them out yet. Um, the record is three and five, which like you can come back from that. They have talent, I think, at important positions. <laughs> Not head coach, but but everywhere else. Um, so will I be surprised if they like crash and burn and miss the playoffs? No. Will I be surprised if they make a little run and and you know even win a wild card round? Also, no, I wouldn't be shocked. So, you know, it was kind of hard for me to pick a punt because I kind of felt like 
more more teams were in like I'm running with this team or now I'm passing on them. They were the one where I'm like I I, I would be more likely to, to 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 pass than to run with them. But I think they're still kind of in that middle for me. So I don't know. What are your thoughts about that, homie? I know you're not particularly high on the Broncos. I don't think you picked them to make the playoffs preseason either. They're one of those teams that perennially kind of disappoints um, when people pick them for the playoffs. So um, curious to hear what you have to say about them halfway through the year. Yeah, I didn't have the Broncos in the playoffs. Um, I wasn't high on them. I had them finishing in last place in the, in the division preseason. But it looks like them and the Raiders are going to be fighting for last place at this point. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I just, I just didn't really – I wasn't a believer in – I thought the other three teams were better uh, all all around in terms of uh, what the, what they could do and their their potential to make the playoffs and what we thought was going to be a tough division, but it's looking like not so much at this point. But we'll see. But for me, uh, I would say I'm just not a Nathaniel Hackett guy. This is the one situation where I feel like uh, if things continue the way they are, I would let him go after one year. Oh, he just yeah. looks like he's just so overwhelmed. He was he was one of my slime balls of the week a couple shows ago, I think. He's just been totally overwhelmed. I think he'd be much more comfortable in a coordinator position on another team. I just don't think he's a head coach material, and I could be wrong on that, but from what I'm seeing, he just looks like he's over his head. And um, I mean, it kind of serves the Broncos right for kind of doing the whole recruiting thing. We're getting Aaron Rodgers. Yep. I mean, it's it kind of serves him right, so it's karma for sure on that. But I would say that uh, I'm not out on Russell Wilson. I'm out on this season for the sure. Broncos. I'm going to pass on them there. Uh, I like we I've talked about that. I love the receiving core. I do. In terms with you know Judy, Tim Patrick's out for the year. He'll be back next year, hopefully healthy. And you know Cortland Sutton, and, and you know and those types of players. They have a good receiving core. I just feel like, and obviously the running back situation. They're it's, they're banged up there. It's just been a really bad year for them, and I feel like it's going to be hard. For, I feel like in the AFC. You're probably going to have to win 10 games to get a wild card spot, most likely. So if they're three and five now, they'd have to go, what, seven and two? Minimum six and three. And I just don't know if I can see them winning six games. I mean, I don't think nine and eight is going to be good enough. I could be wrong. We could have multiple nine and eight teams. But to me, nine, nine wins minimum would probably get you in the playoffs. I'd say 10. So I just think they're in a little bit too much of a hole. And they're not because. The only other way out would be the winning division, but I mean, I don't think they're going to catch Kansas City. There's just no way. So they'd have to get the wild card route, and that's tough. You know, what I mean, you can get other teams like Tampa, who you know what I mean, who are in a bad division, which we'll talk about. But I don't know. I'm, I think with Russell Wilson, I want to see him with with a competent coach uh, for sure. And I think that's um, I got to see it with, a, with another coaching staff, a competent coaching staff, to see if he's really lost it. I just feel like the culture is really bad. Players aren't happy. Hackett's the wrong guy for the job. It is what it is. There's new ownership who didn't hire him. Uh, if, unless they finish maybe maybe seven wins or more, maybe not even that. It could almost be nothing he can do to save his job at this point. I just feel like ownership's probably going to be like, you know what, let's bring our own guys, you know, our, our own people in here at the GM position too. Say, no, let's, just, let's just put our own stamp on this new team we just bought, which is understandable. So with that being said, I'm just not really a fan of it. And I did state incorrectly in a couple shows ago 
Uh, I was unsure if Nathaniel Hackett called plays. He does indeed call plays, which puts even more <laughs> of the of the situation on him. The offense has been terrible. And if he's calling the plays, and obviously there's something with his offense that has not been clicking. That explains why he can't manage the game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why can't call plays, can't mm-hmm. well, can't manage the game well. Pick one, dude. <laughs> yeah, exa- exactly. Like, I mean, it's just been bad. I think he'll probably end up if he does if he does get fired. And um, I think he'll probably end up in another team in some sort of offensive coach position. I don't think he's gonna be out of the league. I don't think he's that bad. I just don't think he's a head coach. Which is fine. I mean, we we learn, right? The only way to learn is that uh, is for someone for someone to do it, right? You don't know if someone's going to be. A, there's no formula to figure out if someone's going to be a good head coach or not. You know what I mean? Would I have hired him? Would we have hired him? No, he was pretty low on our on our our tier list, so we weren't really excited about the hire. But I mean, it is what it is at this point. They've kind of made their bed and they're going to lie with it. So I feel you, homie. Would I be stunned if they, you know? Played great in the second half. No, because Russell Wilson, I'm gonna I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt here. And I just don't see I find it hard to believe that he would just suddenly become a terrible quarterback in a year. You know what I mean? I just think that with him, he needs to really get his priorities straight. It seems to me like he's much more concerned with being a celebrity at this point than being, you know, a quarterback for the Broncos. And I think this is kind of like a reality check for him. Like, look, you gotta be all in on this. You can't just, you know what I mean? You know, and and there's other things with him too that are kind of disconcerting to me in terms of like he has his own office, which is weird. Like Peyton Manning didn't even has own his own offense there, his own office, excuse me. And um, uh, apparently, you can't call him. You have to talk to his manager. He doesn't give out his cell phone number to former teammates and stuff like that, which is interesting. He's a really eclectic type of dude, Russell Wilson. I mean, but I'm just, I got to see more prolonged. Uh, you know, poor play before I can say, oh, this guy stinks. He's out. Get him out of here. Pete Carroll's a genius, which you know how I feel about that. So, I mean, we'll see. But, I mean, this season, it could go either way. But I'm going to I'm gonna lean towards it's not going to go well and they're going to start fresh next year, and it could be better. So, we'll see with that. So, for me, the team I'm going to punt on is actually a team that you're going to run with. It's actually the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, uh, this is a this is a punt for me only because uh, I they I had him as a run the last time we did this segment a few weeks ago, but for me, I'm punting on it because I know that they're fully capable of making the playoffs and making the deep run because of all the all the good players they have, but for whatever reason things haven't been clicking and gelling like they should this this year. Uh, I, I was running with them, but also they had a really bad loss to Pittsburgh, an awful loss to Carolina, where Carolina had just traded uh, run CMC, and they were just kind of kind of playing for the number one pick, and they lost that game. The offense just has not been very good. So, I mean, but then they had a nice bounce back, you know, game-winning drive to beat L.A., who's also really struggling. So, I mean, we'll see. I want to see how they look in this game against uh, – the 1980s uh, Seattle Seahawks <laughs> in in Germany, which is going to be tough. I want to see that, and if they can if they can get a win there, go five and five into the bye. It's a weak division. They're currently at four and five, and leading the division because they beat Atlanta, who's in second place. Then I think they can turn it around. Now I will say, I think they're going to win division. I think they're going to make the playoffs, and I think that it, I would not want to play them if I was a team going into the playoffs because it could be dangerous. I mean, any team with Tom Brady, 
you know, Mike Evans, and they have a lot of good players on defense too. I mean, I, I like this team. I just think it's been a rough patch. Tom Brady's had a whole bunch of things off the field going on. It's it's been a tough situation for everybody. He's made poor decisions too. I think with with missing team practices and things like that. I think a lot of this is on him too. He's not exempt from that just because he's a you know he's one of the best quarterbacks. Well, he is the best quarterback of all time. Yeah, he's number one for sure. But I mean, I think they can get it together. So I'm going to go punt because I'm not going to say I, I I feel you know with a lot of conviction like a thousand percent they're going to do it. But I think they will. So I'm going to go punt because obviously I was like, oh, they're definitely going to be Pittsburgh, and they did not. Like, oh, oh, that's okay. They're definitely going to be Carolina, and they did not. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this team is in free fall right now. What's going on? These are these are winnable games, and the rest of their schedule is tough. So we'll see. There's no gimmies, but I believe in this team. So I'm going to go punt to be conservative here, but I'm going to say it's it's more of a punt leading towards run. Yeah, that's a fair pick. I think there's a lot of reasons to be concerned. I mean, Brady. You know, hasn't had his best year, obviously has had a lot of kind of chaos in his personal life, missing training camp, missing preseason games, getting a divorce, you know, retiring and retiring. Right. Like it hasn't been the most stable situation. They got rid of um, Bruce, uh, Bruce Arians, which, I, you know, I like, um, you know, I, I, I like Bowles. Right. Don't get me wrong. I think he's a good coach and deserving of a job. But just like that whole situation was a little messy. So I could also see it blowing up right like in them like kind of crashing and burning this year so I, I i can't blame you for that pick there homie um cool well yeah it's kind of funny to like look back at the preseason picks we made and see how wrong we were um i i just happened to look at my awards picks and like god those are terrible <laughs> i mean they were awful for for nfl terrible so um let's hope maybe our nba award picks hold up a little better yeah that, that's the hope um yeah we'll revisit our awards picks at the end of the year uh-huh. when we talk about uh that'll be humbling gonna, yeah who yeah who uh <laughs> we think should win the particular awards but yeah um i'm gonna say boat my guy so don't don't feel bad it's you know it's a we got a homie harmony in the bad way here um yeah so yeah so that's our our run pass and punt segments now we're going to uh shoot a little hoops but we're going to debut a new segment and i'm going to go ahead and pass the ball over to the hoops guru and he's going to tell us about it yeah so this this actually i got to give you the credit here homie this was this was your idea um this this segment um this year we decided to go uh dutch well you know i i gotta admit you're paying for the league pass this year i'm gonna pay for it next season but we basically are splitting a league pass account so we can watch all NBA games that we want to, unless you're me and you live in Denver and you have a scumbag owner of your local NBA team, then you can't watch them. But everyone else should be able to watch their teams um, on, on League Pass. And I can at least watch like my New York Knickerbockers and, you know, I can watch the Bulls uh, when the Bulls play. Um, you know, I can watch the OKC Thunder, who I've caught a few times this year. You can watch the Lakers, with. homie, as much as you want, <laughs> as often as you want. Yeah, I can watch. I can watch the Lake Show. Uh, you know, Showtime uh, reinvented. Um, but uh, one of the best things about um, League Pass is like you get to watch these games that you know are interesting and fun, but aren't necessarily going to be on national TV. For a couple of reasons. Maybe the teams are not very good this year and don't have like playoff aspirations. The most common explanation is they're just not in a big market. And like that's one thing I think both of us kind of don't like about like the NBA, like 
landscape as like big market cities get all the attention, both in the media, where players are going, uh, you know, like, it, uh, you know, all the kind of spotlight, even though I would say right now, like small market teams are as good as they've been in a while. So we decided we're going to debut our, our segment uh, called um, Don't Pass It Up. So this is a game on League Pass that we think you can't miss. you gotta, you got to tune in for this one. No, it's not on national TV, but it's one that we really are want, wanting to pay attention to for some reason or another. Sometimes good, sometimes bad, sometimes a little bit of both. So don't pass it up. Just like we always, you know, this is this is what you what what uh, Ben Simmons teammates are all screaming at him in the playoffs against Atlanta. Don't pass it. Don't but dunk it. And he passed it up and he blew the game. So uh, can't pass this one up. You got to take the opportunity to watch this one. So. Given that this was your brainchild, homie, um, I want you to to kick things off with your what's a game in the on league pass in the next week um, that you think you know viewers who have league pass shouldn't miss. Yeah, so just just before I get into that, this this is not um, us trying to tell you oh you should buy you should buy a league pass and mm-hmm. spend the money. We would say, I mean, I can speak for both of us. I think with this, homie, we're if you love hoops and you want to watch as much as you possibly can, or if you live outside of your of your favorite or your hometown, your local team that you grew mm-hmm. up watching, then I would recommend it because you can watch, you know, the games. We have the premium version so that for multiple people can watch. And there are no commercials during League Pass games. You get to actually watch the uh, all the games and things that they play, all the all the festivities that happens in an NBA arena which to me mm-hmm. makes it the best experience I feel like to go live is a, is a hoops game. For sure, you get to see all that. It's a lot of fun. So, I mean, no commercials. You get to watch that. You get to see all the fan interactions, you know, the mascot, fun stuff. So Local broadcasters. Yeah, local broadcasters one. is a huge thing for us. So, obviously, for you, if you want to watch the Knicks, you get Breen most of the time, and you get Walt Frazier, Clyde. Mm-hmm. For me, it's it's I get a lot of, if I want to watch the Bulls, which is my hometown team, a lot of Stacey King. Which is always good if you want to watch the Hornets. You know, you get Eric Cardiac Collins and so on and so forth. And you get to find a lot of really good announcing teams too that you've seen, like, well, oh, I never heard this announcing team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm actually gonna talk about a team that has a good announcing crew that people wouldn't maybe aren't or haven't heard. So this is for a game with coming up within the next week before we record. So uh, for me, it's gonna be a game. There's a couple I'm gonna go with this one here. So on the so tomorrow on the 10th of November, a Thursday, there is a there the Portland is playing New Orleans. So that's my pick mm-hmm. here. So mm-hmm. I picked this one because uh, either I think either of the announcing crews is good. Uh, I really like Portland's a lot. Very good. Uh, New Orleans is good too, and I think that if you, I'm intrigued to see two. Two teams that are young, up and coming. They should be in the playoff mix, playing playoff mix, I think, and really exciting young players on the team. So, I mean, of course, I mean, you want to see Shaden Sharp. For me, Shaden Sharp is a player I want to watch. I was high on him going into the draft. I think he found, he might have found a nice home in Portland. Obviously, you want to see, for me, Nasir Little, Greg Brown. You know, the guys that don't really get a lot of hype, obviously they got Lily there doing his thing as usual. Anthony Simons is, is you know, his, his running court mate. But to see all the younger guys there too, and obviously for New Orleans, I mean, take your pick of all the young 
athletic uh, type of players that they have, and a couple of newer coaches too in their second year. So a lot of so youth is the theme here with this one for me. But they're exciting teams to watch. I think Portland. Mm-hmm. The thing that stinks for them is that if you live in the East Coast, especially, they play usually pretty late. They usually play about maybe ten Eastern because yeah. So which is unfortunate if you if you can't stay up that late for for work or what have you in the morning. But if you do get a chance, I would highly recommend watching some of these West Coast teams that you don't really get to watch. You know, we all get the LAs and stuff like that. But you know, like the Kings and you know, and Portland. And even like a Utah, like if you wanted to see a team that I've never even watched, like if someone's like, oh, I've never even watched Utah before, I don't even know. Uh, yeah. Check out some of these other teams, Phoenix, which is obviously one that gets a lot of play. But yeah, check out some of these West Coast teams if you can. And I think it's fun. So I went with Portland versus New Orleans tomorrow would be my game. I would say don't pass that one up. So who's really, uh Really good pick there, homie. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, one thing – I like about this matchup too is you you know they made a big trade last year McCollum mm-hmm. and Nance for Josh Hart and basically like Bledsoe and, and some guys but like so you have guys on both teams who are like this other team gave up on me right like or they didn't yeah. want yeah so you got the McCollum storyline so yeah it's yeah. a nice it's a nice another Converse game for the first time that'll be really exciting to watch I think or McCollum versus successor Anthony Simons you know. A lot of good storylines there and, and two genuinely exciting teams they, they've been both really quality teams this year for sure um so yeah good 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 pick homie i've got a free evening tomorrow so i'll check it out <laughs> um so the one i'm going with um is uh one i think you'll you'll like as well um this is a game uh that's going to be played this sunday um, at 4 p.m. Mountain Time, 5 p.m. where you're at in OKC, six and uh, you know six Eastern, um, three uh, Pacific time. We got all the time zones covered. Um, but this is going to be Minnesota Timberwolves at Cleveland Cavaliers. So, couple good storylines going on here. First of all, um, two probably the t- two teams with the biggest off-season acquisitions in Minnesota, uh, trading for Rudy Gobert and, um, you know, the Cleveland Cavaliers trading for Donovan Mitchell. Um, what makes it even better is like, it was pretty obvious to everyone that those two guys didn't like each other when they were teammates. So like getting to see them play against each other now is going to be really entertaining. Um, these are two teams that kind of like they were, I think, the exact – they finished in the same seeds last year, seven seeds. Um, Minnesota finished as seven. Um, Cleveland was like seven and then ended up losing in the play-in because they had so many injuries. They kind of uh, missed out. But both teams look a lot different this year than they did last year. The Timberwolves definitely um, are having a little more trouble adapting to their new player. They're actually really good on defense this year. They, they The Rudy Gobert addition – has helped where it was supposed to help, um, right? Like it, it, they, they, they are now in the top ten of defensive rating, um, and and they were borderline top five before a, a couple of games ago. I think they've had a couple of bad nights, so it's worked on that end. The offense has not worked at all. Um, and Zach Lowe pointed this out on on his show. Like basically, when Carl Anthony Towns is on the court without Rudy Gobert, they are awesome on offense and they stink on defense. When Gobert is out there without Towns, they're 
amazing on defense and awful on offense. And when they're both out there, they're they're just kind of average, right? Like they're better defensively though than offensively. And this is a concern I think a lot of people had that was overlooked. Um, and it's something Verno, um, Chris Vernon on on the you, I'm shouting out all these other pods, but um, you know these are guys we respect, I think. Um, and on the mismatch, he was like, you know, yeah, Cat's got a nice shot, but like he also wants to get to the basket. Like he's not like a pure three. Like he's not like Dirk, right? Like just sitting around like the the elbows taking jumpers. Like he, his outside shot opens up a nice space up, you know, pump and drive game. That now he's got this big, you know, French giant sitting there in the middle, like taking up space, right? And um, Anthony Edwards has had some interesting quotes. Like I would prefer to stay small. The reason I can't, I'm not dunking as much this year is because there's no room in the paint. It's like. They've got some stuff to figure out. I think Chris Finch is a good coach. Um, I think he'll make it work. Um, but they got to play. This has always kind of been my issue with the Timberwolves. I don't think they have a bunch of great collective basketball IQ. I think they have a lot of great talent, um, unique talent, athleticism, but they don't always play super smart and they don't like have really a guy who's like a natural connector. I think they really need, they could really use like a good pass first point guard to kind of connect everything. And so maybe they'll look for that um, going towards the trade deadline. Anyway, the team they're playing, the Cavaliers have been kind of the opposite. They were a team that was very, very defensive heavy last year, but clearly needed help on offense Went and signed Donovan Mitchell. And now they look like one of the best teams in the East. I mean, Mitchell, even playing without Darius Garland for uh, a number of games, has been awesome. He's, like, really hurting the feelings of Knicks fans like myself, right, who are like, dang, like, we could have had this dude. He looks really good, given more effort on the defensive end. And their signature defensive twin tower duo, uh, our two guys, Afro Thunder, which is uh, what we call Jared Allen, the smoothest haircut in the game, and Evan Mobley, who, you know, has been compared and it hasn't even been a stretch to Kevin Garnett, right? So that's the other thing is we've got kind of the twin towers thing at play here with Allen matched up against Gobert, Cat um, and Mobley playing against each other. Really excited to see that. So you've got some really interesting matchups in this game as well. Um, I think the Cavs are the better team right now, but just all those storylines and just like there are two teams that I've, kind of just been paying close attention to because they do have these new players they're incorporating. So it's one that, you know, depending on what uh, pigskin games are on in the afternoon um, and how are those are looking in the fourth quarter, I might tune out, drop out early and, and throw on my hoops or at the very least have the hoops on the iPad while I've got my pigskin probably on mute on the, on the big screen. So um, yeah. Any thoughts about that matchup there, homie? Yeah, that's a good pick, homie. Uh, I think it's a, it's a game that kind of suits all different types of hoops fans. I think it's a, it's one where obviously, if you want to go for the big the big story here, two teams that made huge trades. One of them looks to be working very well so far. One not so well so far, but still early. Uh, two guys, like you said, you, you talked about who used to be teammates, don't really like each other very much, and it's it's a game where uh, if you're a fan of you know. Big man, if you if the big man is back, as we like to say, like this this podcast is, and you got you know like you said, Alan Mobley against Gobert Towns, or if you like guard play, dynamic guard play, you got you got Garland Mitchell against Russell and Edwards. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of got it all in terms of, in terms of uh, what you'd be looking for. It should be, I'd say wings, (laughs) not as many wings. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now it's not, it's a very guard and big Uh heavy type of game. I would say so. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a good matchup. I'm definitely going to tune into that one and see, see what's going on. I want to see, I want to see Gobert and Towns, how they're, how would they would fare against a team, uh, another front court that's just as, just as big as they are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and just as long as they are too, to see how they would fare against that. Cause I, I mean, I would say it, it's kind of tough to say whose front court would you prefer? I mean, I would prefer Cleveland's just because I'm a, you know, we're both big Mobley believers in his talent. He's only going to get better. And also just Allen's and you know, Allen's just really solid all the way around, but really good on defense. And Gobert, his his struggles offensively, and Towns struggles defensively, give me a little bit of pause. And we we're not going to go into the whole situation with the trade, but uh, it's safe to say that we both weren't really high on it. And we'll, we'll see how it continues to develop. But some of the questions that we did have are starting to already show up with Minnesota. We'll see if they can kind of iron that out as the season progresses. But it'll be interesting to see two teams that are kind of going a little bit of opposite directions so far. But I want to see how they how they meet up and how they how they match up. It should be it should be a fun one. Yeah, and and I will just add one more thing, um, just because we did mention the broadcasters. I actually really love Cleveland's home broadcasting crew. They run out um, Tim Alcorn and uh, Jim Jones, who is um, you know went by Bunny back in his playing day. He's a great announcer. I really like him. He brings a lot of like you know he's one of those guys who like you know, he's just very genuine on the mic, right? Like he talks the way he talks. He's like not trying to like pretend he's something he isn't, which I think we both appreciate in, in announcers. So um, Jim Jones, Jim Jones, it's kind of interesting. It's C-H-O-N-E-S. He was a former player um, in the seventies. Um, but yeah, another good reason to tune in. I always, I always love hearing him call games. Um so yeah, those are our two games that we do not want uh, that you shouldn't pass up if you have access to league league pass. Even if you don't, log on to um, the NBA YouTube channel and you can watch like a ten minute highlight of the games as well. Um, I like to watch those a lot of the time as well, and you can actually hear little snippets of the local announcers when you do that too. So um, those are our two games. We're not going to pass it up. Um, now we're going to go to kind of our feature segment here of the episode. Um, our, our second shoot and hoop segment here is um, our NBA awards picks. Now, again, we can't call these preseason picks because we're now like a month, almost a month into the NBA season, at least three weeks in. Um, but we'll call these our early season award picks. Um, so we're going to be picking for the uh, seven kind of big um, end of year awards in the NBA. Um, that's MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, Most Improved Player, Sixth Man of the Year, Coach of the Year, and Executive of the Year. And we've got two um, Helmets, Hoops, and Homies uh, bonus categories that I'm not going to reveal yet. I'm going to keep listeners on the edge of their seat a little bit, but we will announce those after we make our regular picks. Um, so yeah, we are going to, we'll just dive right in because, um, you know, these, these are always interesting to make. These are kind of hard. I'll admit I'm feeling a little like I was kind of unoriginal and uncreative with my picks this year. Like maybe I'm wrong, but, 
Um, I don't know. Like it just to me, like I kind of feel like maybe I went with like the front runners a little bit, but you know, we'll see. It depends. Maybe I'm that's just the way I feel. So um let's kick things off the big one, homie. No, no, no use burying the lead here. Let's start with the MVP, the most valuable player. Um, as folks know, uh the 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 previous year's winner was Nikola Jokic, uh my favorite player. I'm wearing my Denver Nuggets uh sweatshirt right now. Uh well deserving. He had won twice in a row. Um so it's very, very rare for folks to win three MVP awards in a row. I think the only folks who've ever done it were Bill Russell and Larry Bird. So needless to say, not very rarefied air there. So given that, um, who do you have this year for the MVP, homie? I'm very curious to see if we have some homie harmony on this one. Yeah, so before I get into that, homie, I want to just go ahead and give a shout out to the announcing crews i should have given their names i did not so really quickly for my game so the portland uh play-by-play announcer is kevin calabro mm-hmm. and the tell and the um the color analyst or uh, is uh lamar Hurd. okay and then the for new orleans the pelicans have uh, joel myers and antonio daniels is the color mm-hmm. guy so i just want to go ahead and give them a shout out they do a good job so for the mvp um, I don't think it's going to come as a surprise to you, my guy, but I'm going with Yanni Santacompo for my MVP. I think that uh, kind of that hard break last year of going, you know, kind of had a game six in your building, didn't get it done. Game seven, you lost without your second best player. Kind of the bad taste in his mouth, especially after he got to uh, win the title two years ago. I think he's going to come back on kind of a revenge tour. So I'm going with uh, the Greek Freak as my MVP pick uh, so far. Or I should say um, for the season. We'll see how it ends up. For sure. Um, Well, homie, I was right. We got some homie harmony there. I also picked Giannis Antetokounmpo, and I'll keep my explanation really short. He's the best player in the league. He's better than everyone else at basketball. Um, And he is more valuable to his team than anyone else in the league, undoubtedly. There's one person you can maybe make that argument is Steph Curry is might be more important to the Warriors, but I think what Giannis is doing on both ends kind of puts him above. Um, my logic for this, and this isn't just been, he's he's been on a tear to start the season. Um, I was actually leaning towards him preseason, even though you know we're just recording this now, because um, I was kind of it was between him and Embiid are the two guys I was and I was like Embiid has Harden and if they're going to be really good I think Harden has to be good which kind of takes some of the pressure off of Embiid but with Giannis I'm thinking he's going to be a force on both ends of the floor he's going to be on his revenge tour he's going to be without Middleton for the beginning of the season and he's going to have to carry a little more weight on this team and 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 another big thing that a lot of people have kind of started talking about Brooke Lopez is back. And honestly, like Giannis is at his best when Lopez is playing because he doesn't have to play center. He can play his power forward wing, you know, off ball, you know, defender spot and really wreak havoc. And those two down low together, it's just like good luck <laughs> shot up there. Um, so, yeah, it's Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think the Bucks are going to be the best team in the East this year. Um, I think them in Boston are kind of going to be battling for it, but I think he's – 
he's overwhelmingly um, the best player in the league at this point. If we're talking about two-way and upside, he's been the best player on a championship team. We've seen him do insane things in the playoffs, obviously. So um, Giannis Antetokounmpo, I think a pretty, pretty, not a controversial pick. A lot of people this year were going with like Luca, some fringe kind of candidates where like Tatum was getting some buzz. Um, you know, I, but, but, uh, Embiid quite, quite a bit, as I mentioned, but I think Giannis is kind of, like I said, a little straightforward, but like, you know, they, they, there's a, there's a phrase, you know, keep it simple, keep it simple, stupid. Um, you know, and just like, if he's the best player in the league, if his team's going to be the best, one of the best in the league, you probably should be the MVP. So that's, that's my pick. Um, any, any other thoughts about Giannis and the MVP award? No, nah, we'll keep it short, homie. You you said you said it all that needs mm-hmm. to be said. Let's let's go ahead and uh, let's keep it pushing to the uh, defensive player of the year. So how about you yeah. leave this one off, my guy? Okay, sure, sure. This one was really hard for me. I'll be honest. Um, this is one where I would have um, there were a couple candidates, and this is another one where maybe it seems unoriginal, maybe it seems kind of cliche. But I'm I'm going with with Rudy Gobert. Um, he he's won the award I think four times already. Um, he is at more than anyone else. Now listen, me and you are not the biggest Gobert fans for reasons that I think are fairly obvious. He is one dimensional. He is a defense first player, and he's like a rim protector. He's not a switchable defender like Giannis or Bam. He's like an under the basket defensive player, but I think sometimes like that skill set gets undervalued. There's no more important skill in the league than rim protection. Like that is the the most efficient shot. And if you can make guys shoot that at 53% instead of like 70%, that is extremely valuable. I already mentioned Minnesota went from one of the bottom ranked teams defensively. They showed a little improvement last season. Like they were in the 20s rather than like 30th in the league, but still bottom 10. Now they're top 10. The only difference is they've added Gobert and they actually got rid of some good defenders and Beverly and Jared Vanderbilt. Right. So it's like, he's the reason I can singly point to. And I think that's kind of going to sway a lot of voters. We've talked about this before, but defensive performance is the most difficult thing to like quantify or measure in, in basketball, right? Like the guys who are great defenders, a lot of the stuff they do is not showing up in the stat sheet. Um, With Gobert, it's like, he's got the blocks. He's got, he's got, he could lead the league in rebounds again. And like, you're just going to see like when Minnesota goes from like a bad defensive team to a good defensive team, it's going to be really easy for all the writers and everyone who votes on this award to go. He's the reason why. Um, I was also considering Bam out of bio, but I'm a little concerned with, with what I'm seeing from Miami. Um, and I still think, um, you know, he, he's, He's a very versatile defender, but I don't think he's like as much of a, you know, lock him up, like throw him on your best guy kind of player. Um, not that Gobert is, but again, that rim protection is really important. So um, I think guys like Marcus Smart, like might take a little bit of a step back after winning it last year. Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to be out. And the reason I didn't go with Giannis for this award is one reason, one simple reason. Last year, without Brooke Lopez, the Bucks were 15th or 16th 
ranked in defense in the league. This year, Brooke Lopez is back and they're like ranked number one in the league. Um, and so I do think like they've also got an all defense defender in holiday on the team. I just think he's got a lot of support defensively to be able to do what he does. Whereas Gobert's more of that one man show, right? Like Anthony Edwards still isn't a consistent defender at his best. He can be a very good defender, but Russell stinks. Cat stinks. Um, they throw um, uh, McDaniels out there. Who's, who, who's okay. He's not terrible, but it, it it's really like he's going to be the one making the big difference. So I'm going with Rudy Gobert. This would be his fifth defensive player of the year award, which I think would, I don't know if that would pass to Kembe Mutombo, which, um, or if it would just tie him. Um, so I'll look that up, but homie, do you want to give your um, defensive player of the year? Yeah, I think he's got three homie. I don't think he has foe yet. I think the only oh, players oh, the only players would fall the only players would fall are Mutombo and Ben Wallace. Okay, so I don't think so he's got I there. Got yet. It wrong. Yeah, he has three, but if he got four, he would tie them. Yeah, he so, would okay. tie Mutombo and Ben Wallace as the most good ever. Call. Good call. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, that's yeah. a good pick though. I mean, it's always uh, he almost always finishes at least top three for yeah. the last several years. So he's been in the conversation every year. He was top three last year too, and he probably will be this year as well. So that's a good pick. Um, I actually did go with Yanni Santetecompo. And the reason why I did is because I think it can be looked at two ways. I think bringing, having Brooke Lopez back, who is, um, I said he's probably their most valuable defender because he, he takes a lot of the pressure off of Yanni's and he doesn't have to worry about, you know, being absolutely elite every single possession because he knows Brooke Lopez is going to be there and he can kind of lean towards more towards doing what he needs to do on offense, but also being a really great help defender. And I think the thing with Yanis, why I think he's, he's could win defensive player of the year this year. Besides that is that it's going to give him a lot more time to get the splash plays, a lot of blocks, you know what I mean? Steals like stat stuffing type of things because Brooke Lopez is going to be doing a lot of the dirty work that doesn't get appreciated. Like we talk about with defense, with defensive, you know, stats, it's kind of besides, you know, steals and blocks and things like that. A lot of the other things are just like really, really analytical. And it's kind of hard to measure with the naked eye, but I think yeah, he's going to have a lot of the splash plays. I think he's, he, I think he's so far above as the best player in the league. And he is to me, he's the best two way player in the league by far that it's going to be a great, there's going to be a lot of momentum for him to just uh, a lot of national TV games. A lot of voters are going to see a lot of his games and it's going to be a way for him to say, wow. Uh, I think, I think the storyline of, of saying he can be the first player ever to win MVP defensive player of the year in um, separate seasons, because he's already done that. He's joined, you know, Hakeem and, and Michael Jordan, but for him to do, it, I think he could be the first player ever to do it twice. I think it's going to start to gain some traction as the season goes along if, if everything goes the way it should. So I think that and also he's just uh, great. I guess he's great on ball. He can, you can switch him. He's great in help defense. He's going to get you the block here. Um, great rim protector. And I think he's able to play. He's able to able to play like a lot more free on defense because he knows that Brooke Lopez is there. So if he does take a chance on something, if he goes for a block or he bites on a fake, and somebody's able to get past him, 
then he knows Brooke Lopez or Bobby Portis is going to be there to kind of to kind of close out and you know take away that that um, driving lane. So I think it's going to allow him to play a lot more free on defense, but also to fine tune uh, what he what he already does great. So I think it's just uh, it's going to be a situation where he can kind of shine on both ends, and it's going to be a nice narrative because we know a lot of this is about narratives too when it comes to voting. But for me, I do genuinely believe this not just from a narrative perspective, but I do think it's going to help when it comes to the voting time. So I'm going to go with Yanis to uh, be the first player ever to win MVP Defensive Player of the Year in two separate seasons. Yeah, no, those are actually really, really strong points you make, homie. Um, You know, I wasn't even thinking about, yeah, like he'll probably get more blocks now because he's like a weak side defender, right? Like Lopez is the one standing there and, you know, kind of like, under the rim, but like when they make that interior pass or that kick out or whatever, it's going to be Giannis coming in and like gobbling that up with a steal or a deflection or coming off um, the weak side if they do get around Lopez and making those blocks. And I think the other thing is he'll probably have a lot of highlight plays. Like those are the plays that tend to be highlight plays. Like when dudes come out of nowhere and like snag a block or like get like an insane steal for a fast break and like those stick in people's minds, like voters minds, like, right. You know, they're when they're doing that. So um, the other like simple argument that maybe I overlooked a bit is like this award a lot of times will go to the best defender on the best defensive team. That's what happened last year with Marcus smart on the Celtics. And right now the bucks definitely look like the best defensive team. And I think, you know, we've given a lot of praise to Lopez holidays, obviously excellent, but like, I don't, I'm definitely not arguing like he's Giannis is the best defender on that team, undoubtedly. So um, I think there are some really strong cases to be made there too, homie. So good pick. Definitely. um, Definitely very valid. I wouldn't, wouldn't at all be surprised to see the Greek freak bring home his second uh, defensive player of the year award. But um Let's jump to our next award, and I want you to kick this one off. Um, I want to go with our Rookie of the Year uh, award here. And I'm really curious to see where you're going to go with this one because I think we've seen um, some, some, a couple, couple of good showings from rookies already this season. Um, you know, But coming in, there are definitely all sorts of narratives. So who, who do you have for Rookie of the Year this year? Yeah, and I will say um, for the listeners – I would say almost all of these picks were what I would have had in the preseason had mm-hmm. we been able to, you know, get a, get a show done then. But um, the only times I went with actually what I've been seeing so far after, you know, 10 games or so was if I was kind of torn or is a 50-50 coin flip yeah. situation, I kind of went with, okay, what am I seeing with my eyes now? Same. So just I don't want to say, oh, well, you know, this person's playing good, so they're obviously going to do it because we've seen that comes and goes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Players get in funk. Sometimes they look great. Sometimes they don't. So it's not a great indicator necessarily. I only took that into consideration if I was kind of up in the air about it. So for me, I'm going to go. This is a situation where I kind of did. I was torn between it, uh, especially with the Holmgren injury. I think he uh, he would have been at least a strong candidate for me to consider for Rookie of the Year, given what he would have around him in OKC. But I'm going with um, Benedict Matherin, or as I like to call him, Blasterin or Blastoff, because this guy is like a a missile when he goes to the to the lane. He's just so explosive. So uh, Benedict Matherin from the Indiana Pacers, I'm going to take. Um, I think it's a matter of time before he starts. He's coming off the bench right now, 
Uh, he's raised. He gets buckets. And I just I love his energy. I love his intensity. I think Indiana seems like they kind of stole him at number six, which is like, you know, he went sixth. But thinking about how the impact he's already have, and the Pacers are actually uh they're I mean, we'll see. It's very early, but they're a team that we can see, wow, they we thought they would be a lot worse record wise than they are right now. And I think they have a, a nice young core with him. Halliburton's playing out of his mind right now. So I mean I think he's shooting like 46% from 46% from three, I want to say, which yeah. is unbelievable. Which, yeah, it even crazier is like that's not that far off from his career average. He's yeah, he's just a great amazing shooter. Amazing, yeah, and then you shooter. add then you yeah. add that with Chris Duarte, Latino Heat is also mm-hmm. a great shooter. Uh, Miles Turner's playing good. He's motivated. We'll see if he's still on the team. But all that to say, <laughs> I think I think Matherin just kind of comes in, no pressure. Just like I'm a rookie, no one really expects me to be you know all-star caliber and just goes and just gets buckets and scores um there are a lot of times when you watch i've actually watched because of league pass uh, a lot of a lot of pacers games and their crew is also their crew is also very good yep uh they're announcing who's very good so i would say um that they're a fun team to watch if you Mm -hmm. like if you're a fan of those small market young kind of rebuilding teams they're a fun team to watch i've watched a lot of them preseason and regular season but there are times when he's the best player on the court when when and i'm talking about he's going against starters on the other team there's times when he looks like the best player that this guy is gonna they're like this guy can be an all-star perennial all-star he's got that potential Uh, i will say that uh I was high on him going into the draft. You were even higher than I was, homie. So that's good on you. That was a great scouting job on your part for show. That's why you're the hoops guru. Um, uh, great, great eye there. He looks fantastic. And I think there's a very obvious, and I don't want to say obvious because I don't want to be, uh, you know, sound detrimental, but there's a pick that, you know, uh, that's that makes a lot of sense instead of him. But I wanted to go with something that's a little bit outside the box. And I think depending on, where either team finishes that he could definitely be in the conversation because I would have said that it looked like Evan Mobley for a majority of the season was the runaway rookie of the year. We both think he still should have won. We saw Scotty Barnes kind of take off later and he was, he was fantastic. Nothing to take away from Scotty Barnes. You know, I'm happy for him, but we can kind of see how these things can change. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's why I'm going to go with Matherin. I think he just has a really high potential. I think he has all-star potential already, and he's making an impact on a team that no one has expectations for. So the pressure is lower for him. And like I said, Carlisle's kind of easing him in off the bench, but given if they make trades, which it's been a whole thing, I think they have a definitely, he will be starting sooner rather than later. So that's my rookie of the year pick. But who do you got, homie, as your rookie of the year? Yeah, that was that was a good pick. I'll say Matherin was definitely in in strong consideration. He is my runner up for this one. I'm probably going with the one that you indicated was was the more obvious pick here. And like I said at the beginning of the segment, I do feel like I kind of went with kind of front runners for a lot of these. But like, you know, sometimes like the easy pick is you know the one the one that that you know ends up happening. I'm going with uh, Paolo Bancaro. Um, wanted to make sure I said that right. I know it's not Benchero. It's Bencaro. Um, so um, he is just one of those guys. And this is one where you, you know, maybe listeners are saying, well, like, you know, like you definitely, you know, 
are basing this off of the first, you know, three weeks, four weeks of the season, which like he has been stellar. He's been putting up crazy numbers. He already looks like he can get a bucket whenever he wants. But honestly, this is what I was feeling coming out of the preseason because he looked awesome in the preseason too. Um, And you're right. Like I probably would have leaned towards Chet if he was healthy and available, but he's not. So um, I'm going with Paolo just because I tend to think the NBA Rookie of the Year award either goes to a player who's making a big impact on a winning team, which is what we saw last year in Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes, right? Like those two were neck and neck for that award. They both joined teams that were playoff bound or play inbound and making a difference, right? Important contributors on those teams. You've seen that um, similar things like, uh, you know, like um, Ben Simmons won it in his first year, like the, 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 in his first year, the Sixers kind of made that leap from like exciting young team to legitimately like competitive team. You saw Malcolm Brogdon win that award. Um, but even, absent- even with like Anthony Edwards, LaMelo Ball a couple years ago, right, right, saw yeah. the, the Hornets, you know, made the play in. Mm-hmm. And that I feel like that was probably a strong indicator too why he might have edged out Edwards because it was pretty close. Yeah, and the Charlotte offense, like instantly, you could tell, like became a lot better when Lamelo stepped onto that team and onto that court. Even though, like Edwards was, you know, numbers wise putting up some pretty awesome numbers, and you know was was doing some pretty eye popping stuff um, as well. But I just don't feel like any of the the teams this year where I, I feel like rookies are going to contribute are, are going to be that good, honestly. Um, no, not to take away from the Pacers or the Magic or like, you know, the Rockets, but like, I just think these teams are not going to be great. And I, I, I haven't really identified a ton of guys, you know, in outside that top seven or so picks who are going to be big contributors um, for a team that can be competitive. So in the absence of that, I'm going to go with the person who looks the best and has the best numbers. And I think that's going to be Bancaro this year. He's, I think, averaging north of 20 points a game, about eight rebounds a game. He's the offensive hub for this Magic team that had no offense last year. Um, you know, it was basically Cole Anthony creating shots for himself. And, you know, that was about it. Um, but Bankero just looks so obviously ready. He's like one of these guys who comes in. We get these every few years where a guy comes in and it's immediately clear they're going to be a star in the league. We saw it with Luka Doncic a few years ago. I would argue you also saw it with John Morant in his first year. Um, before that, we saw it in um, like Damian Lillard. It was pretty obvious. We saw it with Blake Griffin, uh, Kevin Durant, going back to LeBron James and Chris Paul. So like, not every year, but every few years we get one of these guys where it's like immediately obvious from their rookie year, like, oh, future star. They have the skill set. They're already one of the better players in the league. And I just think Bancaro is going to um, do that. Nothing against Matherin. I think he's he's awesome. I think it was a great pick by Indiana. I'm very confused as to why he's on the bench. Um, I guess maybe to just like give him a little more control of the offense with those bench units. And then they, they, they do end up easing him in and playing him alongside Halliburton, but I'd start that dude. I, I want him on the floor as much as possible. Um, he's, he's just like, so, so exciting. So electric as a scorer. So those two to me are like the, the standouts of the bunch. Um, Jabari Smith, 
um, has not looked great so far and didn't look great in preseason. Um, you know, Jaden Ivey's looked really good. I shouldn't, I don't want to disregard him. He has actually looked really great. Dyson Daniels from what I've seen, really nice player. Um, so, you know, there, there's some, there's some guys out there that can make a run at this, but I think it's kind of a two person race to me between Matherin and Bancaro. And I'm just giving the edge to Bancaro based on, on his, his statistical output, I think will be, um, and just like I test will, will give him the, the award, but now, what are your thoughts about that, homie? Yeah, uh, I'm actually uh, happy what I've been seeing from Banquero uh, so far. I think that I, I, I've said this. I've had question marks about him coming out of Duke. There was a lot of games that we saw, especially in the tourney. They did make a Final Four run, but there was times when I'm like, I was like, Paolo, you're easily the best player on the court, and it's not even close. Mm-hmm. Take the game over. What are you doing? Yeah. Take the game over. You're by far the best player. I want to see you dominate. I want to see you go up and stuff one of these guys in the basket. You're so much better than they are. And that's just the nature of college basketball. But he wasn't able to do that. And I was that's what gave me question marks about his motor. It wasn't necessarily sure. the skill set, it was his motor. Does it does it run high enough or does his fire burn hot enough for him to be like, you know what? I'm gonna dominate this guy and he can't stop me. I'm just better than he is. And I'm seeing a lot more of that, maybe like maybe you know, playing some of that preseason basketball or the combine, or maybe he started to hear those detracting comments and that kind of fueled him, which is great. I'm glad because he mm-hmm. looks like that question to me has been pretty much answered already, that he's by far the best player on the Magic. And he's he's been playing a lot more aggressive. He kind of has a chip on his shoulder for a number one pick, which is interesting. So I, I like to see that. But that was my biggest question mark. That's why I had him third on our board when we did our mock draft was that he uh he just didn't see he just didn't seem to me like he was didn't grow into the 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 mindset of i'm the best player and you can't stop me from doing what i want to do whenever i want to do it and so far he's he's rectified that to this point which is good to see so i mean the magic made a good pick there so um he's obviously like i say he's gonna score a ton of points the magic aren't gonna be very good i don't think and uh, the offense is going to kind of run through him. So it makes a lot of sense why he would be the the more uh, conventional or logical pick for Rookie of the Year. And uh, I think for me, a dark horse would be Shaden Sharp from Portland. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. don't know if he's going to get the, the minutes and the playing time he's going to need to win the award. Could I see him as maybe in the, in the top three? I could. But to win it, I don't know if he's going to get the playing time with, you know, Simons, and, and Lily playing, getting a lot of that, that starting backcourt. So we'll see with him with the with the the second unit if he can. But he would be one that I would say he's a dark horse candidate to to definitely be in the conversation for it. But um, for sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean it's uh it's an exciting rookie class. There's some really good players in this draft. Yeah, definitely. And um we'll see who knows someone might come out of nowhere keegan murray might really turn it on for the kings you know maybe an injury in portland opens up time for sharp or maybe jabari smith really turns it around and and runs away so we'll keep an eye on it it's definitely not definitely you know not not written in stone yet that it's matherin or or bancaro um let's switch over to most improved player uh this one's always a hard one to pick uh every year i have a lot of trouble with this one this year i kind of just went with 
I kind of went with the first thing that came to me, first of all, because I was like, who is going to make like a big jump this year from last year? And it's like, you know, there's certain situations, you know, where things open up, opportunities arise, where guys get more opportunity, less opportunity. And so I'm going with a guy from my uh, hometown team, the New York Knickerbockers. I'm going with Jalen Brunson. Um, some folks were considering him for most improved player last year after he moved from the bench to the starting unit in Dallas looked really good for them as their starting point guard. Um, but you know, like as you do on a Luka Doncic team, he ceded a lot of responsibility to Luka Doncic. Um, and that is not the case in New York. He is the point guard in New York. He brings the ball up. He is the offensive initiator. Um, you know, whether he's running a two-man game with Julius Randle or just ISOing guys off the, the bounce, he's looked awesome this year. His scoring's up from about 12 or 13 points a game to about 20 points a game now on good efficiency. He's passing the ball way better than he ever showed in Dallas. He's got like seven or eight assists a game. Looks really good passing the ball. He competes on defense. Um, I just think it's one of these guys where, like, he got more opportunity. He went to a team that desperately needed a point guard, and he's doing what a starting a, – a, I would say a top 10, top 12 starting point guard in the league should do. Um, and so, for me, that one was just kind of like – I was like, oh, yeah, it's it's Brunson. Now, and I'm not saying he's, like, a shoe-in to win it, but, like, he's the one that, to me, was the most obvious. I was considering some some other guys like, Bain, like Dane, Desmond Bain, but I almost feel like – his leap last year was almost a little bigger than from last year to this year, even though he, he has, I think, gotten better this year as well. Um, but uh, yeah, so to me, it was like Brunson, I think kind of made the most sense just because he's getting more responsibility and he's going to do more with, with that extra responsibility. Um, so yeah. Who, who, who did you have for this one, homie? Yeah, that's a good pick, homie. I think definitely you can see, that that's been a good signing. Uh, and like we said, the money wasn't as bad as we initially thought it would be. So it seems like it's been very fair. And he's made a, he's made a definite impact on not just his game, but also on, on Orange Julius, Julius Randle's game as well. He looks a lot better this year with the true point guard, which is what the Knicks were hoping for. So they definitely did a good job in signing him. And I think it's he, he should uh, definitely be in the conversation, I think, for it at the very least. In my converse, in my um, opinion, so I think that's a good pick. I went with based off of what we see because this is a completely we don't we really don't know what what's the criteria for this yeah. award. It's kind <laughs> of all over the place because, yeah. uh, I mean, you know, much love to to Jalapeno John Morant, but I didn't see John Morant as the most improved player to me. He was already a superstar, right? Yeah, I mean, or you could say he was definitely a star, and you could say maybe he made the superstar leap. So I mean, I mean, I get it. I mean, I think he deserved it. I, w- I went Jordan Poole with mine last year. Yeah, and a guy from who's in the G League to you know now he just got a huge, uh, thirty-two million dollar a year contract, which is great for him. So that was my idea of it. But I mean, who knows, right? So based off of that, what the voters kind of went with last year, I thought, okay, who's a guy who can kind of make a similar leap, or who, who I think is going to do that. So I went with. Uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander and went SGA. Mm. So I went with uh, SGA from CA because I feel like he can do the same thing in terms of the leap that John Morant made in terms of Mm. he was a really good player 
Jamarant went from star to superstar. I think SGA can definitely go from really good to star mm-hmm. and possibly perennial all-star. I mean, it's so hard, but I think I do see him, if everything, if he stays healthy, making the all-star team his first. He hasn't made one yet, so I think that's going to be a big leap for him. He's a first-time all-star. And I think if he's able to put up the numbers that he's been putting up so far, which is unbelievable. I don't know if he yes. has, it's attainable. He's averaging about 31 points a game right now, and he's been sizzling. He's been absolutely everything you could hope for. He's been carrying uh, OKC's offense on certain nights when other guys have been out. But he's been everything you could want. He's looked like a franchise player, and I think him firmly entrenching himself in he's the franchise player for the Thunder, He's going to make an all-star team. I think that is definitely going to be a way that voters can say, you know what, he did make a huge leap where we're like, there's no question that he's a franchise guy, he's an all-star. And I think that would make him a player that could be, that voters could, could gravitate towards. And for mm-hmm. me, I mean, you know, you know me, homie. I've been a big you know, SGA guy for, uh, for a few years now, for sure. And I always believe in his potential. And I think this is, we're finally getting, starting to see it. Uh, on display a little bit more. He's getting some more national buzz, which is good. The Thunder aren't aren't awful so far. We'll see. But uh, I think he's the type of player that can make the same leap in terms of what a John Morant did and kind of go from another from one tier to another based on what voters were looking for last year. So I'm going with Shea Day, Shea Gilders, Alexander. Re- really good pick. Um, yeah, and I'll say like, I've watched a couple of OKC games this year. He he looks incredible. I mean, he looks unstoppable. And here's why you say you like you don't know if the 30 points a game is sustainable. Maybe not. But the thing that stands out to me is like this isn't coming on like hot three point shooting or anything. Like he's just getting to the lane, faking dudes out, getting to the. He's like living at the rim. And so that to me is what it, that's like sustainable, right? Like so you know, his three point percentage is actually down. And so I think as he continues to pulverize teams in the paint, that shot's going to open up for him a little bit, get a little easier. So um, do I think he'll score 30 a game? I mean, honestly, I don't think it's out of the question. He is like the scoring (laughs) punch for the thunder. I mean, I think they have a lot of intriguing young pieces. I think Giddy's great. I think door adds a lot of value. Like all their guys have some, but like, He's the only one who you can rely on, I think, possession to possession. Like, this guy can go get a bucket right now. Um, and so I think he's going to get a lot of opportunities to score. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's a really good pick. I think, you know, maybe not 30 points a game, but 25 a game is definitely reasonable. Maybe you get, like, five or six assists a game. Um, you know, could definitely improve on the defensive side of the ball, but his offense has been, has been dynamite so far. So – um, you know, he, uh, he see, and he does make some really good defensive plays here and there. I just think a little more consistency on the ball, but, um, yeah, that's a good pick. And he's definitely a guy who like, when I, wa- <laughs> I watched him playing against my nuggets and like, I was like, these guys cannot stop him. And I was like, the nuggets are bad at defense. Maybe this is just like, but then I, wa- I was watching him in another game. I was like, no, wait, this team can't stop him either. And then I watched him in another game. I'm like, they can't stop him either. You know, so it's like a certain point, it's like no one can stop this dude. Um, so I think that's a really good pick. And yeah, he it's really been, been cool kind of watching. He's just gotten better every year. 
And I think, yeah, this is, is probably the year he makes his, his inaugural all-star game, which, um, you know, knock on wood, let's hope he keeps it up, but um, good, good pick there. Um, why don't you kick this one off, homie? I'm wondering, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and make a wild guess. We might have some homie harmony on this pick, um, but maybe you'll surprise me here. Um, Coach of the year um, award. Yeah, so for Coach of the Year, I'm going with Willie Fresh, Willie Green mm. as my Coach of the Year. And the reason why I'm going with him is because I think New Orleans is going to take a big leap this year. I think they were the – they had the – they're the ninth seed going into the play-in tournament. They became the eighth seed after winning a couple games. And I think they're going to finish top, top four, maybe even top three depending on how things shake out in the West. But I think they're going to take a major leap forward. And I think that if we're going to start to see how good of a coach Willie Green really is, which I think he's a fantastic coach already. I think uh, they've made a great hire there. And I think he's quickly establishing himself as one of the best coaches in the conference, if not the entire league. So I think them making a huge leap, which is what voters usually tend to gravitate toward, is what I kind of look at too as a team that, Either we weren't expecting very much and they overperform or a team that takes a big leap forward from where they were the year before. And that's what I'm gonna that's why I see with the Pelicans. So I'm going with Willie Fresh, Willie Green as my coach of the year. Yeah, we've got our, our homie Harmony going. Um, you know, it, it's as simple as you said. Like they won 36 games last year, and I'm confident they're gonna win at least 44 this year, if not. If not more, I think they 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 look like a 50 win team to me just based on eye test. And, you know, it's one of those things where like the big pieces haven't changed. Obviously, they brought in CJ last year, which helped a lot. But like Zion and Ingram were both here under Stan Van Gundy. They were both there um, under Gentry um, when they had him. And so it's like you can see the coaching actually making a difference here. And just the way his players speak about him too, like that always says a lot. And and these guys definitely have a lot of respect for Willie Green. And yeah, he's he's he has done a heck of a job coaching this team. They play hard. He they've already had a bunch of injuries, right? Like they already had were without Zion for a few games. Already without um, Brandon Ingram. And some maybe more conservative coaches would be hesitant to go to Dyson Daniels, a rookie. Or, you know, to, to you know, give a bunch of minutes to Devontae Graham, even though he is a pretty solid bench player in this league. Um, but he, he's had no issues just plugging and playing, guys. And it's been really cool to see. So um, they have a super deep team, and he seems to have no fear in, like, digging into that depth and, you know, pulling out guys and, like, throwing out a guy he doesn't usually play in a situation where, you know, he thinks it's going to help. And I, I always appreciate that. Like, you know, <laughs> we, I was, I was complaining about, you know, Thibodeau to you before, like he just sticks to his rotations and like, that's it. He's never going to mix it up like that. I have a lot of appreciation for guys who are like, you know what, like maybe like, you know, Ingram's not really feeling it tonight and he's not giving us what I, what we need. Like I'm plugging in Trey Murphy and like to see if he can give me some juice. And I think that's a sign of a really good coach. I think they're going to win a lot more games. Um, I think he's going to get a lot of love. So um, yeah. Uh, coach of the year, Willie green. Um, I, I, I think he's a pretty obvious candidate. There are lots of good coaches in the league. Don't get me wrong, but 
um, he's kind of the one who who has, I think, a pretty obvious path to, to win that award. Um, okay, and then the final of the traditional awards here, Executive of the Year. Um, this one, I actually believe I'm going with the same pick I picked last season, um, who I kind of still feel like I, I thought should have won the award last year, though I'm not complaining. Zach Kleiman for the Grizzlies won it. They had a great year, obviously. This year I'm going Kobe, Kobe Altman of the Cavaliers. Um, he's had a pretty awesome turnaround of that team, drafting Darius Garland at number four um, in a pretty loaded draft. Uh, he went right after – no, maybe he was number five. But he, he went a few picks after like Zion, John Morant, um, RJ, I believe. Um Getting him, um, drafting Mobley, going out and signing Donovan Mitchell, um, making the trade, which I thought was a pretty reasonable trade for a guy who's looking a lot like a top 20 player right now. You know, three draft picks, I think, some some solid players, but guys who didn't really have a future on the team. Laurie Markkinen looks great in Utah, not going to lie, but, you know, like was he really like – if they had, if they were going to pay all those guys, like Laurie Markkinen's probably the odd man out. Sexton, his career there looked like it was already over. And those guys are playing great in Utah. Credit to them. But um, I think he's he'd make that trade ten times out of ten again with the way Donovan Mitchell's playing, um, and just like the the boldness to trust in Bickerstaff and to say like last year, like we're doing the twin towers thing. We don't care. Like we don't care that the NBA is obsessed with spacing. We're going to throw out two big guys out there and they're going to be awesome on defense. And they, he went out and got exactly what they needed in uh, Donovan Mitchell, which was more scoring at the perimeter and, you know, convince Kevin love to kind of buy in and stick around. Like he was really disgruntled, um, you know, kind of before last year and he really wanted out and they couldn't trade him because of his contract. And now it's kind of like, they're happy to have him. Right. So um, I just think he's done a really good job building a team that I can't overstate this enough. Like when LeBron James leaves your team, you pretty much have nothing left, like no draft picks, no talent because you, surrounded him with all these old vets he likes to play with right no like a shot creation right like your cupboard is usually bare and i think he did a really good job of like rolling with that and building a young competitive team who like you know they don't you know this is like not just some leftovers from a lebron team like they are their own identity so um kudos to altman for that he's my executive of the year pick um, if they keep this up, I think he should be the runaway. I, again, I picked him last year. I thought he he had done such a good job getting Mobley and signing Rubio and kind of doing all that stuff already. Um, oh, not to mention, absolutely fleecing the Brooklyn Nets to get Jared Allen. I mean, this wasn't this past year, but he. I, I think sometimes like these guys get these awards for kind of what they've done in the last few years building a team. So I'm going with Kobe Altman on the on the Cavs. Yeah, well, we got some homie harmony here because I'm also nice. going with Kobe Altman for executive of the year. All the reasons that you said, homie, uh, this is kind of like going back from – it's because I feel like executive of the year has kind of transitioned from a one-season award to a multiple-season award. It's kind of yeah. like a what have you done the last few years. 
And I think that's why uh, Kleiman won it last year for the Grizz. And I think that's why Altman could do it this year. If you think about, like mm -hmm. you said, uh, Mobley, who I had is I would have taken number one. He sits pad, gets him at three. Mm -hmm. And he's looking like he's, uh, if not the best player in that draft, he's not far behind it. Mm -hmm. And then you think about the Mitchell trade, which I liked, but I didn't love. Uh, I wanted to see how it would fit. So far, it's fitting very well. With that, you think about getting Kevin Love to go from, you know, um, pretty much throwing games away and he just, he's really, you know, unhappy. And I believe he actually threw, he, he turned the ball over almost on purpose. Yeah, he <laughs> used to like do that. that. Yeah. yeah, he yeah. did it on purpose because he was so disgruntled. Getting him to buy in and like, look, you make a lot of money, but you're the bench guy now. It's going to be all right. We're going to be a good team. And yeah. he bought into that and he looks, he looks pretty happy. So. Sneaky think, six man of the year candidate too. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that um, he's kind of he's kind of gotten Kevin Love to reinvent himself, mm -hmm. which is kind of what they need. But it is it's really it's really weird for me to watch, homie. Like I I always think of Kevin Love. I remember him in either at UCLA when they you know when they went to back to back Final Fours or in Minnesota. He was a on the block bang yeah. post type of player. Post guy, is not, yeah. Yeah, he was like a, you know what I mean? He was grimy down there. Now he's just like yeah. a stretch big. It's, it's weird to think of a, a career transition for Kevin Love. But he's, he's, he's made still it successfully. He still rebounds the hell out of the yeah. ball. Yeah, the fact that he's almost never, yeah. he never really shifts no, in the yeah. post anymore. He's a three, he's no. a stretched big now. Mm -hmm. So he's kind of reinvented himself. So uh, I think Colby Altman and definitely J.B. Bickerstaff making that higher and trusting in what his vision for the team I think has been helpful as well. And I think he's done a good job kind of building this team either through the draft or uh, in the free agent in the trade market. I think he's done a really good job with that. So it's looking like the two biggest trades that he made was obviously Allen and and Mitchell. And they both have – they're looking like cornerstone players for this team. And this team was, like you said, after the basketball baron leaves your team, you usually, you're usually bear-in, B-A-R-R-E-N. <laughs> so <laughs> – because there's usually nothing left. It's completely yep. your, your assets are depleted uh, because he likes to play with vets, and that is what it is. But, yeah, they've done a great job rebuilding this. So Kobe Altman, to me, is, uh, I think, someone who definitely deserves a lot of praise, which he's getting, and I think that that could culminate into the executive of the year award at the end of the year. Yeah, good pick. So, so we had three homie harmonies from my account on uh, MVP and Giannis, on Coach of the Year Willie Green, Executive of the Year Kobe Altman. Um. Let's shift to our helmets, hoops, and homies bonus category. So now anyone who listens. No, we show, missed one, homie. We missed six man. Oh, I'm a fool. Six man of the year, of course. How could we forget? And I, I, I just mentioned Kevin Love's sneaky six man of the year. Yeah, so give us your six man, Guru. Okay. What do you got? Yeah, yeah. Um, this was a really hard one, too, for me. Um, but I am going with Christian Wood on the Dallas Mavericks. He's a guy to me who has been putting up big numbers on bad teams for years, um, kind of beating up on lesser competition. And I think I, I kind of like Jason Kidd's move to bring him off the bench and let him kind of beat up on bench units uh, a little bit. He got off to the season really hot. Like he scored like 20 plus 10 plus rebounds in the first couple of games and now has like, Kid is kind of messing with the rotation a little bit. He's not playing him as much. He's he's been out with a, an injury. That is one thing. He is a little injury prone, but he's one of these guys who I think like is just 
he can score the ball. Like he's a good shooter for uh, a big man. He can put the ball on the floor and he has a really nice face up and drive game. Um, he can, he can post up, he can score off the pick and roll. So Luke is going to, kind of feed him a lot of easy looks um, under the basket. So I'm going with um, I'm going with uh, Christian Wood here. Um, you know, there were some other options. I was obviously looking at Jordan Poole, but, you know, I was kind of like, well, maybe Jordan Poole might end up starting depending on, like, you know, whether, um, you know, Kirk can figure out his rotations. <laughs> and um, also, like, I just feel like Poole probably should have won it last year. Um, did he win it last year? No. Um, who did they give it to? Tyler Hero. Oh, right, right. No, yeah, Hero had a good year. That's right. That's right. But um, yeah, and then Poole hasn't looked good this year so far, too. Not that that like completely changed my mind. Like he he can totally come around, but I just feel like Wood, you're getting, you know, not just the scoring, but the rebounding. He'll give you some blocks. You know, um, that he'll he could close games with Luca, be the second best player on that team. Um, and that that could be a big boon for him. But uh, who do you have for sixth man of the year, homie? Yeah, so uh, on Christian Wood, like if, it's kind of crazy. He's been on a lot of teams. Like you were just like, oh, yeah, he's been around uh, the league for a while. So uh, he was someone I considered, but I figured that he would move into the starting lineup at some point. Yeah, that would kind of take away from his status as sixth man. Because, I mean, they got JaVel McGee starting right now. Or uh, as some of his nicknames, the Big Secret and Big Daddy Wookie, which is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Big Daddy Wookie and the Great Adventure. He's got some interesting nicknames. And That's Pierre funny. is another one. I don't know. <laughs> you gotta love basketball reference, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Big Daddy Wookie is starting right now. So uh-huh. I think that I thought Wood would transition into the starting lineup. So that's why I didn't think he would be eligible. But it makes sense if he stays there the whole year. He's gonna put up numbers. He's feasting on on second units. So for me, I went with a guy who I thought would have would have at least finished top three or won it last year if he didn't have to start so many games. So I went with Bobby Portis. Mm, um, <laughs> I went with Crazy Eyes, as I like to call him, Bobby Portis, <laughs> um, because yeah. I think I think he was definitely a candidate last year, but because uh, Brooke the Hook Lopez was out for seventy plus games, that Bobby was starting usually at the five. Or Giannis yeah. is at the five, and they would put Bobby at the four. So I think mm-hmm. that kind of that kind of hindered his, you know, his candidacy, obviously. But I think now that Lopez is back, if everything goes well, they all stay healthy. I think he's a he's a really valuable bench guy. It's kind of heart and soul type of player with that second unit. He's gonna put he's yeah. gonna, he can you know he can hit the three if he needs to. He's a stretch big, but he energy. also plays really he also plays yeah. really good defense. High energy guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fans in Milwaukee love him. He's got his own his own Bobby Bobby chat, which is dope. I mean, you love to hear that, especially in playoff time. So he's a fan favorite, but also he's just uh, like I said, heart and hustle type of player. He's kind of like what you want coming off your bench. And I have a, I definitely have a a soft spot for those type of players, a high energy type of players. And I think he's just been uh, he's kind of reinvented himself as just a really solid, rock solid second unit type of guy who can start if you need him to. I think on a lot of other teams he could probably start, uh, depending on what the team is and how their how their the roster is kind of configured. But I think he's really embraced that role with Milwaukee and knowing what he needs to do there. And I think him, uh, I think him being able to do that, I think it's going to also factor in is he's going to be able to get like 
close to double double type of numbers because we see a lot of times with six man of the year and you've and you've been critical of this, which I agree with you, homie, is that it's it's not really six man of the year, it's more of like six scorer of the year. Yeah. Like who scores the most points is like the is uh, uh the, the best bench player in according to the award. So I mean he's not gonna he's not gonna fill up the stat sheet twenty plus points a night. But I think just if you're talking about just consistency and you know what you're getting night to night and give you double double here and there couple of blocks some steals here play really good defense and i think i think bobby portis is a, is a nice candidate for six man so that's what i'm going with yeah that's a really good pick and honestly like i hadn't even considered portis and i don't know why he's he's a really good candidate for that award um he's a great player um definitely like teams like milwaukee i tend to think are a little top heavy so having a guy like portis you know come off the bench um, you know, really brings a lot of energy to that whole unit. And yeah, like he might close out some games if Brooke Lopez, you know, if they're resting him or, you know, if he's, if he's in foul trouble um, or whatever, um, Bobby can definitely close out, cl- you know, playoff games, close games. Um, and you can trust him in those situations, which is awesome. Here we go, homie. So uh, I just looked up his basketball references for fun and that he does have crazy <laughs> eyes is the one. He also has okay. nicknames. Bobby Buckets, which is dope, uh-huh. and the mayor of Milwaukee. I think that kind of I think that kind of says <laughs> it all. Milwaukee, yeah, that's yeah, good. That kind of says it all. So I just want yeah, to add that's it. That's really in good. <laughs> nice, nice. I like that. God bless whoever does that on basketball. Reference. <laughs> I love it. Um, cool. Well, now I know I teased it before, but now for real, we're switching over to our helmets, hoops, and homies uh, bonus category awards and. Um, one thing that listeners know, if they've listened to us talk hoops, me and you, um, we are passionate about the less glamorous side of the floor, right? Like we like good defense. Um, we are guys who like two-way players typically. You know my motto about little guards, you know, they can't put them together. No two little guards in one backcourt or it's not going to work for me. Um, so our kind of bonus categories that we're going to cover are defensive six man of the year which I think is a really good one because there are some really good bench uh, defensive players and um, defense rookie of the year. Um, since the offense, since the rookie of the year award, let's be fair, like usually goes to a player who's offense heavy. I think that's probably why we saw Scotty Barnes win it last year, despite our opinions about it um, over Mobley, because he just was like doing a little more offensively for the Raptors. So um let's do our defensive six man of the year since we just said six man of the year um and since i kicked off six man of the year you kick off your defensive six man of the year homie okay so i went with uh a guy who's just a ferocious defender off the bench he can get you out of your game he's a type of guy high energy high motor he's gonna he's gonna defend every possession when he's out there on the court I went with the PR nightmare, Jose Alvarado nice. yeah. from the New Orleans Pelicans. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's not to love about the way this guy plays the game, man? He's he's one of the rare, very rare little guards who plays elite defense for his yeah. side. Like pound for pound, he might be the best defender in basketball. We're mm-hmm. talking pound for pound. Given his size, he's an elite defender. And I think you pair that with Herb Jones. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, New Orleans is just such a stacked team all the way around. And to get this guy undrafted, I think, too, is what a find by a Dave Griffin. So definitely respect for that. But, I mean, 
what's there not to like? I mean, he kind of he hounded Chris Paul in the playoffs last year. Mm-hmm. Just watching him before watching the game when they were playing tonight before we started recording, he was just doing what he always does. You know what I mean? Guarding every possession, all all you know, every foot. And it was just something where it's 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 commendable. And I want to make sure that he gets his props for doing that because, like I said, it's a very a less glamorous type of type of way to play the game. And he'll get you. He can score. You know, he can shoot it. He can shoot it. You know, well. But he can also get to the bucket for, like I said, for a small guard. He can do that. He has a little floater in the lane. He can get you with a turnaround there. But he kind of lives off of his defense. That's what he does. Mm-hmm. And he's and you could say he's an irritant. This and that. I think he's a lot more than that. I think he's just a really rock solid player and a great defender and i want to make sure that i i give the appreciation that i think he deserves for for kind of doing the dirty work and especially i mean what's there if he wasn't a good defender would people say oh he's only you know six feet tall but does it really matter but i mean the fact that he kind of prides himself on his defense is something that that kind of kind of really really vibe with us so jose alvarado the the pr nightmare is uh my defensive six man of the year preseason pick yeah, yeah, that's a that's a, a great pick. He was definitely there were three guys I was really considering for this award, and it like came this was a harder one to pick. So Jose Alvarado, I think we both awarded him the award last year at the conclusion of the season. So I wanted to go with someone else this year. And so um honorable mention to your favorite player. Um, the player I know you've got a if you don't already, you will have a poster of him in your room. Uh, on your Chicago Bulls, Elmer Fudd, uh, as you call him, Space Jam Elmer Fudd. That's Alex Caruso um, coming off the bench for the Bulls. Um, he's he's a he's a great defender. Brings uh, a lot of energy. Um, really kind of like gets in passing lanes. Bigger bigger guard, six five, um, so he can guard. He's got some some versatility. But the guy I'm going with um, is a guy who you know. Is I don't know, doesn't get as many minutes maybe as I, I feel like he should, but I'm, I'm going with Matisse Steibel uh, on the Philadelphia 76ers because he's one of those guys when I see him playing defense, I'm like, oh, this is not just the best defensive bench player. Like this guy might be the best defensive perimeter player in the league. The problem is his offense. He has no offense, right? And so it's hard to play him. But when he is out there, he is an absolute menace playing perimeter defense. And he's huge. Like, he can guard basically one through four um, on the court um, and just steals, um, blocks jump shots, um, just long, quick, good hands. Um, Really excellent player. Um, I'd love to see him get a little more run. I mean, the, the, the Sixers bench is pretty deep. So, you know, I, I've seen him out here here and there, but usually Doc's not playing him more than 15 minutes a game or so. So, um, But when he is out there, he's always causing havoc. So I'm going with Matisse Thibault for my uh, defensive sixth man of the year. Yeah, definitely when I think of defensive sixth man, one of our, our bonus categories, he's one of the first names that comes to my mind. Because, I mean, he's known – He's known for his defense, but like you said, it's just a thing where I don't know if he's going to – he hasn't been getting a lot of playing time lately. I think he's kind of maybe fallen out of favor a little bit with our guy, yeah. Glenn Rivers, uh, because he is – he's pretty limited on offense in terms of what he can do. And I think when it comes to close games or or crunch time in games, I don't know if – I don't know if Doc really feels comfortable playing him in situations where he might have to score. 
So I think that that's the situation. But when, yeah, like you said, homie, when he does, when he's out there doing his thing, he's he's a very good defender. Um, so he, that's definitely what he hangs his hat on. I think it's something that's impressive to watch if you're a fan of defensive basketball. Um, so th- that's definitely something to 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 consider as well. But it, it was just a tough one uh, in terms of how we can go with it. And I think the next category as well was a tough one for defensive rookie of the year because there are some some nice candidates here. So who do you have for defensive rookie of the year? Yeah, for this one, I went with – I was kind of deciding between two guys for this award. I ultimately went with the guy who I feel like plays a more important defensive position, and I'm going with Jalen Duran for the Detroit Pistons uh, center, youngest player in the league, still 18 years old, um, youngest rostered player in the NBA. But um, <laughs> he does not look like a teenager when he's out there on the court. He looks like a full-grown man, I'll tell you what. I've seen him like gobble up some shots at the rim, uh, just like absolutely like I thought he was going to break the backboard how hard he's like blocking these shots. Um, just like – hyper hyper athletic big man super super um you know plays with a lot of energy not not the most skilled guy you know like offensively i don't know if he's like super switchable but just like seems like one of those guys who's just gonna pile up blocks um and make your life you know a living hell down by the rim so i'm going with jalen duran he's not currently starting for the Pistons, I think there's an argument that they should start him at some point and maybe move Beef Stew to the four. Um, you know, Isaiah Stewart, who's also a big man I like, but a little small to be playing the five, in my opinion. He's only – Beef Stew is only like 6'9", 6'10". Duran's like 7'1", 230, 240. Like he's, he's like a big guy. So I think he's their, their future at the center position. Um, and so he should move to a starting role. But, um, yeah, I'm going with Jalen Duran, And, yeah, curious who your pick's going to be before I give my my honorable mention there. Yeah, well, I mean, you know the Pistons like like having those 6'8", 6'9", guys at center. I mean, just think yeah. about when they were, you know, consistently great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, in you know, in the 2000s with Ben Wallace. Yeah, so maybe they're just keeping the tradition up. Maybe yeah. Dwayne Casey's just kind of keeping the tradition alive for a little while. Yeah. But I agree with you, yeah. Um, we got homie harmony. I also have Jalen Duran nice, nice. as my pick. Um, like you said, really, he's showing like a really an, an aptitude for defense. I think he's just a good shot blocker already in the limited minutes that we've been able to see him. I think the fact that he's able to kind of um, he can either be like a help side defender or he can be a lead defender and on ball, with mm-hmm. especially kind of taking away the paint from either driving guards or if a wing wants to cut to the basket, he can kind of close out on that and kind of take that away from them and make them kick it out to the corner or something to that effect. So I think the fact he's able to do that already is impressive. And like you said, he looks he definitely looks like an like an uh uh a man who's been in the league for a few years already. He doesn't look like he's 18 years old for sure. He looks like he's been doing this thing for a while. So a uh, nice uh, nice additional pick that the Pistons have added to go with Jaden yeah. Ivey there. And uh my my uh I guess my uh, honorable mention for this would be uh, Christian Coloco from the Toronto yeah. Raptors. Nice pick. Uh, he was he was on he played for Arizona. He was a teammate of Bandit Matherin, uh, and just watching him a lot in the tourney 
when they were in there for the first few rounds, they were in the tourney, but also watching him during the regular season last year at Arizona. Uh, really athletic, good shot blocker. He looks like he could be uh, a bit of a steal. They got him in the yeah. second round. So I think he could be a nice steal. And I mean, I mean, the one thing Toronto needs is more length and athleticism, right? They don't have enough of that. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he fits in perfect. They just The team is just stacking up like wings and stretch bigs, and it's what they do, right? He just fits yeah. perfect with that. So I want to give some love to Christian Coloco, who's also looked very nice. I liked his game in college, and I think he probably should have went in the first round, kind of fell to the second round mm-hmm. because of maybe concerns about his offensive game. It's not as polished as his defensive game. But, I mean, he's seven-footer. Huge wingspan, nice closeout speed. I like his game, so I want to give him an honorable mention. Yeah, those. I mean, the the Raptors just really know how to pick guys in the late first round, second round, undrafted. Um, not a, not a lot of high draft picks on that team. I mean, really, uh, Scotty Barnes is really the only one. So they definitely know how to pick them. And yeah, Coloco, you know, he is he is actually. I think the difference between him and like a guy like Siakam or OG Ananobi, like all these long guys I have, I think he's like a true center. Like he can lock it down in the paint and protect the rim in a way that those guys can't. And even someone like Chris Boucher can't because he's, he's slight. He's, he's skinny, right? He's like more like a bull bull. Like you wouldn't want to play him as your full-time center, but Coloco's got some heft to him. He, he can, he's got the body to stick in there. So that's a really good pick, homie. My um my honorable mention here was just Dyson Daniels on the um, Pelicans. I saw him playing defense. I was watching a Pelicans Mavericks game I think last week, and I was watching him playing defense on Luka Doncic, and he was making life hard on a guy who's a, definitely one of the five best offensive players in the league. So um, I, I I like we both like that pick um, for New Orleans. Um, I think he he also has shown some passing vision. He's got a figure out scoring in his shot, but you know, they have the luxury, as we said, to kind of like play him around a bunch of great offensive players if they want to. So um, I thought he's looked good from what I've seen. We'll see how much playing time he gets now that like Ingram's back healthy, Zion's back mostly healthy. Um, but yeah, he was, he was my honorable mention for our um, defensive uh, rookie of the year. Nice. Yeah. Nice honorable mention. Dingo. Snake eyes, I like yeah, to call him. He wears number eleven. So, um, yeah, I liked I I liked him watching him in the G League last year. Also, I was glad he when the NBA started doing like that G League showcase game at the All Star weekend, yeah. Yeah. and I got to really see him on a bigger stage. And I came away from that thinking this this guy is a good player. I, I like yeah. his game, and I think it's a, a great fit with New Orleans. So nice one, homie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, that's our preseason NBA awards picks. We can go back at the end of the season and see how wrong we were about all these, as we usually do. Um, though, I don't know, maybe we'll have better luck here with our hoops than than pigskin. Uh, we will have to see. We'll have to wait about, uh, what, 70 games to find out. So um, let's switch over to uh, our, our closing segments here. We'll uh, do our slime ball of the week. Um, we're going to do a collaboration this week, homie, because, uh, you know, it's it's sad to say there were so many candidates. This There were so many slime balls this week. There are so many dudes who we can call out. But there's one, I think, above the rest who we need to talk about and who we've got we've to just get slimed as soon as possible. 
And that's um, a guy who's been on this, uh, in this, this feature, in this segment before Kyrie Irving. I mean, God, what a freaking asshole. (laughs) I mean, let's just start off with that. This freaking guy. Okay. So for those of you who don't know, um, the most recent Kyrie Irving controversy, definitely not the first, not the first this year, um, is he posted a link to a film, a documentary, which I will put in quotes because I think as many people have pointed out, there is a lot of objectively false information in that film um, that has been panned by people kind of all over the political spectrum as a highly anti-Semitic film. It's basically kind of like comparing like Africans and, 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 African-Americans to Jewish peoples um, and kind of promotes a lot of the same anti-Semitic rhetoric that Jews have been dealing with, frankly, for hundreds of years, right? That they're like the global power brokers, that they're working behind the scenes to like disrupt like Western civilization, right? Like that they are money hungry and like they're greedy and they control everything. It's like, right, like this, the Jewish people are a minority population on this planet. They have some political power in two countries, but they they are not <laughs> pulling the strings anywhere, um, right? Like there are people who have been very successful in a lot of fields. Um, I think there are people who value education, but needless to say, that's all been that, that's all a bunch of anti-Semitic conspiracy theory stuff, which is really common these days. Um, and not these days has been common, like I said, for hundreds of years. Anti-Semitism is not new. Anyway, Kyrie posts this link on his Twitter. And basically for the next week, refuses to take it down and refuses to apologize or admit he did everything wrong. Basically, his line of reasoning this whole time was, um, I'm not I'm not promoting anything. I just put it on my Twitter and I didn't say I like agreed with everything in this film. And, uh, you know, I'm a free thinker. Everyone can make decisions for themselves. I'm not telling people how to think. Um, And and it's just all such a crock of bullshit. I mean, with this guy, it always is. Like, he is so full of himself and so full of shit. It it really drives me nuts. Um, He he is one of these guys who really just thinks he's so much more enlightened than the rest of us. Oh, Kyrie Irving with his six months of Duke education is just so much like, you know, more open-minded and just has so much more experience. And it's just so much more open to the truth than everyone else. It's like bullshit, dude. You go on YouTube and you watch conspiracy theory videos. That's why you think the COVID-19 vaccine is a hoax. That's why you thought the freaking earth was flat. You know, you're a moron who has no information literacy. Basically, information literacy is when you go on the internet and you see something and you can distinguish truth from falseness. Kyrie Irving is someone with no information literacy. He cannot tell truth from false and basically will believe anything anyone tells him. I mean, take a look at this guy's religious beliefs. He has gone from devout Christian to Muslim to indigenous religion practitioner to he he is he has basically to, to Taoism and Easter, like essentially this guy will believe anything you put in front of him is what is clear here. Um, so he finally 
um, after a lot of heat. The Nets essentially it here's what it took for him to apologize for for posting this. The Nets had to suspend him indefinitely. They <laughs> fined him fifty thousand dollars. They basically told him like you're kind of done here, dude. Like that was the last straw. And then he comes out with an apology. Took him a week. Took him a week and took suspension. So I don't know about you, homie. When you basically have to have your arm twisted three times over in order to make an apology, I typically don't think that apology is very genuine. Um, that's just me. You know, typically if you're genuinely feeling remorse about something, you come to that on your own after listening to people, not after being punished for it, right? Someone who says sorry after the punishment comes is typically not very sorry about it, right? Um, so I will kind of close things out and, and a little sneak preview here. Um, my homie of the week is going to be related to this too. So we're not done talking about this, but I want to close this out with a really funny um, quote. I found a tweet from, from Myron Medcalf um, quote, Kyrie is like most, most uh, faux inner intellectuals. They don't read. So their whole mantra is rooted in YouTube clips. They don't explain the things they say because their attitude is based on the idea that they speak and others listen. They don't want dialogue because they're not good at it. <laughs> and that's what he said. Um, and I think that pretty succinctly summarizes who Kyrie Irving is as a person. I am so sick of this dude. I would slime him four times over if uh, that was a homie, uh, helmets, hoops and homies policy. Um, but yeah, Kyrie Irving, Easiest slime ball of the week we've had in a while. So let me hear your thoughts, homie. I know, you know, I, I think I speak for both of us on a lot of this stuff, but definitely want to hear your perspective as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, my guy. Uh, I, I just want to get, get it out there that I don't think Kyrie Irving is an evil person. I don't think he's evil. I don't think he, you know what I mean? I yeah, don't think yeah. that. I don't think he, you know, he's the worst person in the world. I don't. I do think he's. I think a lot of his uh, his way he looks at things is naive a bit to me. Mm-hmm. And also, this is what he reminds me of, homie. He, you know, like those those people who like go to college for like a few weeks, or they go to college for a semester, or they read a book. They, or they read like a book or they watch a movie or something and then like their whole mindset's completely changed. Yeah. I'm away like, oh, I've seen the light. He's one of those types of guys to me or people where it's just like you you get a little taste of something and you're just like, oh, my life has completely changed. I've seen it. You know, it's, it's he's one of those type of people. And I'm just like, you know, give me a break here. Like, that's just, yeah. Let, let's keep it eight more than 92. Like, you just, you know what I mean? You read this book and now your entire life has changed. Come on. Have you had time to really think about these type of things? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Before you just completely devote devote your life to it, it's like let's keep it real. Here. So that he's he seems like one of those. He's one of those type of people to me, and it's yeah. just like it's it's naive way to, to look at the world. It's just like you know what? Uh, a lot of, a lot of people, especially when it comes to something like religion, like that's like something that you should really give a lot of thought to, especially as an adult. I mean, obviously as a kid, you kind of go with what you were raised in. But as an adult, that's something where you have the completely the choice to do what you want to do. But you can't just switch. Oh, I believe in this because a lot of the a lot of the belief systems are completely different. You know what I mean? Like the belief systems of a particular religion, 
especially Eastern and Western religions. This guy just like swapping them out like they're the flavor of the month type of thing. It's just taking what he me. wants from each of them. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, it's just like then just don't don't say you you know that you adhere to anyone to say look I'm a spiritual person or whatever. I don't know. But like there's that. But getting on the, the situation at hand, I just feel like it's a situation like I agree with you, homie. I don't think that I don't think that if there wasn't this immense pressure by the media and the Nets and other, you know, people all over the Jewish community, I don't think he would have said he was sorry. I think the fact that he was suspended and, and somebody finally got through to him, someone on his crew got through to him and said, look, yo, you're going to lose everything. You're going to lose a lot of money. Nike's, you know, suspending your, your, uh, your sponsorship. You know what I mean? You're, as you being an ambassador for the brand during a shoe launch, they're canceling that for now. And that's a lot of money lost. You're being suspended without pay. You know, who knows what else could happen. Your career could be in jeopardy. Uh, you should probably apologize. And he finally did. But the thing with me is he didn't even apologize. He didn't call a, a, a press conference. He didn't do it, you know, vocally. He, he posted it on Instagram. I'm like, that's like the most generic way. That, that means nothing to me. You know what I mean? Like you posted it in in text form. That's like that's like if you break up with somebody and you text them, uh, "I don't want to be with you anymore." Is that the same effect? Do you think that's the type of thing that's going to be really like, "Oh wow, they must have really cared about me. They texted me that they're done. They had the respect to do that." How about you like use your words? You love to talk and hear yourself talk, and you're so much more enlightened. You're an artist. You know, you're the smart one. We're the dumb ones. We don't understand. You know, you know what I mean? Like. Say it. Go on your Instagram if you really want to. If you don't want to do a press conference and you know attack more reporters like you did with Nick Friedle, who was just asking you, he wasn't even attacking, he was just asking you legitimate questions. And just say, you know, I was wrong, whatever, for a minute. And there you go. But the fact that he even wrote one out, and to be real, homie, I don't even know if he I don't know for a hundred percent that he really wrote that. Maybe someone on his team, PR person, could have wrote that for him. Who's to say? Nobody knows. I know it's his personal. It's, who knows? You know what I mean? Did he really write that or did someone write it for him? So, I mean, that's just something for me. I don't know. Who knows? Like I said, I don't think he's an evil person. I don't think he's the worst person to exist. But uh, he's definitely a slime ball. He's definitely somebody who uh, gets on my nerves a lot of this stuff that he does. It's just, it just makes no sense to me. Like I said, as a basketball player, very good player, talented offensively. But he just seems like a type of guy where I don't think basketball is really that important to him. It's just kind of a, a way for him to be become influential. And the thing I think he needs to really understand is that it's almost a guarantee he would not be this famous if it weren't for basketball. And I think he needs to start appreciating that his, his – uh, natural talent and his hard work that he did put in to get this good and start respecting the game a lot more too mm. is something that really that is disappointing to me like you the guys guys would probably almost literally kill to be have the talent that you have playing basketball guys that didn't make it in the league or got hurt or whatever they would kill for that to be able to do what you can do when you're just throwing it away and how are you you know what i mean this whole like voice or the voiceless nonsense and stuff like that. It just, it gets on my nerves. It's like, you're not a martyr, you know, you're not a martyr homie. You're just a guy who, you know, like I said, you read a book or you watch a movie or a documentary and all of a sudden your life has changed. Give me a break with that. I'm good. Yeah. You know what I mean? When you 
he needs to stop being surrounded by people who just constantly acquiesce to everything he says. He needs someone to tell him and keep it real with him and be like, yo, you're, this is pretty stupid. You shouldn't do that. But who knows? We know how it is. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm not absolving the Nets from this either. I think the Nets are big. No, big. Yeah. They're, they're really heavy to blame with this. The blame goes all the way around. Not just putting on him. They kind of have been you know, creating this type of monster. They've been allowing this to happen. And I think they deserve some culpability with this too. For sure. And them giving an entire list of things you got to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a bit excessive. I think it's kind of a way for them to just say, look, we know you're not going to do all these things, so that's a way to get rid of you. It's kind of a cowardly way out to me. Just, you know, say, look, it's not working out. Go home. We'll pay you. It is what it is. We'll eat the money. Uh, if someone wants to trade for you before the deadline, fine, we'll trade you. But if not, just go home and we'll pay you. And, you know, Then you can be an artist at home and do whatever you want. You can be a voice for the voiceless. Just, we don't want you here anymore. And then at the end of the year, you'll be a free agent. And then you can see how many teams really want you, which I think will be another reality check for him. So there's that. But, I mean, I want to make sure I'm, I'm I'm being very transparent where I think the Nets are a lot to blame for this too, and I'm not going to give them a pass. I think they've made horrible decisions all the way around, from ownership all the way down to player level, and they deserve a lot of blame for this too. For sure. And, and I was actually going to mention that, so I'm glad you did. Um I was going to give a, a an, an honorary slime to Josai and John Marks and the Nets, too, and Kevin Durant, quite frankly, who all of whom enabled this behavior from the beginning. They let KD and Kyrie choose their coach and Steve Nash, who I think we can all agree was probably not the right fit for this team, right? I mean, it's, it's certainly turned out that way. They let Kyrie take his mental health days unannounced, unexcused, uh, before the season. Then they let him play away games last year when he refused to get the COVID night, like every step of the way they've acquiesced. And um, yeah, that's what happens. You, you know, homie, me and you are both, uh, you know, we kind of both like uh, we, we have a fond uh, uh, kind of interest in um, children's books, right? Like I used to teach reading to kids. We both kind of like to recollect about the books we read. There's a book called, if you give a mouse a cookie, Right. And and that's a famous one. I think listeners will know that one. But it's like you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to want some milk. And if you give him some milk, he's going to want this. If you give him that, he's going to want this. This is exactly what happened with Kyrie Irving. Right. It's a it's like the best thing I have. And, you know, these guys built it. And, you know, Kevin Durant said something like, you know, it's just a shame that all the attention is on this. And it's like, no, it's a shame you like attach your career to this guy. Like, that's what's a shame. You are a generational player and you hitched your wagon to Kyrie Irving and this is what you get, um, right? And it's, no, it's not a shame that we're talking about this. This dude posted a virulently anti-Semitic film on his Twitter. Like, sorry, dude, like that, I, I get it. It's about basketball, but that needs to be talked about. Um, so I'm, I'm with you on that. Definitely. They deserve some of the blame. Um, let's, so I want to say like, let's jump into something brighter with homie of the week, but do you have any final Kyrie thoughts? Yeah. Oh, my final thought is homie that that now gives him the, the requisite foe or for, um, slime ball of the week selection. So now world be flat or Kyrie Irving. The artist formerly known as Kyrie Irving 
is now eligible for the Hall of Slime. So we got to take a vote here now. Do you vote to put Kyrie Irving in the Hall of Slime? Absolutely. <laughs> and I, I agree with you. So Kyrie Irving, Roby Flat, and the artist, you are the newest member of the Helmet Soups and Homies podcast, Hall of Slime. So he is now a member of that. He is the fifth member of the of the of that uh, notorious group. And as you would say, homie, get him get him fitted for that uh, Nickelodeon slime green jacket. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Yep. Yeah. So Kyrie joins the other slime balls in the hall where he belongs. It's uh, poetic justice, homie. <laughs> <laughs> well, he is a poet, so. Yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he is a poet, so we can put yeah, that. It, we it can inscribe sense. inscribe that on his uh, his slime colored statue in the hall. Um, <laughs> well, let's let's swing over to homie of the week. Um, I'll, I'll kick this one off just because it is related to the Kyrie Irving thing. Um, my homie of the week is Nick Friedel, the Nets beat writer for ESPN. Um, a clip kind of went viral of him. Um, Basically challenging Kyrie and and, and Fredell is a, 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 a guy who I kind of gained a lot of respect for last year because he was constantly challenging Kyrie on his the COVID-19 vaccine stuff when he refused to get that. And, um, you know, like when you're a reporter and you're a beat reporter, right, like your whole market is this team, you know you're kind of like risking some stuff professionally if you get on the wrong side of some of these players, especially a star player like Kyrie Irving, who apparently thinks he owns the franchise. So, you know, he kind of puts his neck out, was putting his neck out there before, but I think like, I was just really impressed with like this exchange between him and Kyrie kind of went viral where he's trying to challenge Kyrie on something that Kyrie said. Kyrie said, Oh, I didn't promote this by posting it on Twitter. Why do you all think like I have so much power? And it's like, well, you called yourself the voice of the voiceless. Remember that whole thing, you freaking idiot? Like, that's what I would have said. Um, and for Dell, very professionally, it's like, well, like when you post something anti-Semitic, like whether or not you agree with it, like that will be taken. And he's trying to explain. And Kyrie's like, does everything you post, like, do you, do you like promote that? And he was kind of being like, well, yeah, like that's kind of how social media works. And, and Kyrie basically just wouldn't let him ask his question, shut him down, shut him down, shut him down. It was basically like being super condescending and demeaning. And it goes back to this thing that, 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 that Myron Metcalf tweet I shared, they don't want dialogue because they're not good at it. Kyrie Irving does not want to be challenged because he knows he has no response because what he thinks he says is the truth. And that's like the worst kind of person to me. And like, you know, you were saying like, I don't think Kyrie's evil. No, I, I don't believe in evil in the inherent, in, you know, that people are inherently evil are all good, all evil. But I think people like Kyrie do a lot of damage to our society and to our world, honestly, like, Dudes with a lot of money and a lot of power who think they know better than everyone else and yet are completely unwilling to listen. And so Fridell kind of kept pushing him, kept pushing him and wouldn't back down, you know, basically said like, no, like I'm like, you're not going to shut me down on this. I'm going to ask my question. And basically what ended up happening is Kyrie just walked away. 
he wouldn't answer the question, wouldn't even listen to it. Um, basically was accusing Fridell of like, you just want this to be on an Instagram clip. And anyone who like has followed this guy knows like, dude, he doesn't care about that stuff. He's a journalist and he's doing what journalists do and he's a professional. So he got a lot of love from the journalism community, which I love. Um, a lot of people shouted him out, like, good, good on you. Like this should be taught in journalism school. So I just wanted to shout him out for doing his job even though it's probably going to hurt his relationship with Kyrie Irving, it's going to be harder for him to get interviews with him. It might be harder for him to get, you know, in with other players on the nets, but he stood up for journalistic integrity and pushed a guy for not answering the question he was asked and refusing to answer the questions. We've all just been asking him to answer. Are you, do you agree with what you watched in this film, which is anti-Semitic and you know, Good, good on Nick Friedel. So I know Homie of the Week is supposed to be a little more positive. Um, so I just want to shout out, you know, I know that was a little negative, but I just want to shout out him for being a good journalist, asking hard questions, not the easy questions, right, and challenging, um, you know, a guy who has a lot of power in this industry. So good for him. Yeah, that was a good pick, Homie. I, I like the way you laid that out. And I've seen the Nick Friedel exchange with Kyrie Irving. He wasn't, he didn't raise his voice. He wasn't disrespectful. Nope. He didn't try to make him look like an idiot. He was trying, I think he was actually trying to give him an out. He was, say, yeah. Say, he, so are you saying that you're not, and he was basically saying, are you, are you saying that you're not anti-Semitic? And he was, the, the guy was so clueless. He's so wrapped up in his own mind. Like Nick Friedel is kind of giving you an out to say, no, I'm not. No, of course I'm not. And then that could have been it. But he's just so, you know, everything has to be centered around him. It's whatever. Yeah, yeah, Nick Friedel, and I also, yeah, yeah. yeah, he did a good, uh, he did a good guest spot on the the Low Post Zach Lowe's podcast. He went on there and talked about the situation and how it kind of went all the fallout and things like that. And that was a good listen to, I think it was maybe last week. So I listened to that too. But I've seen the exchange. I think he he did it. He did journalism kind of the way it's supposed to be. He wasn't disrespectful. He wasn't combative. He was just trying to get. Answer to his question, and and if it was just completely shut down, very disrespectful from from Kyrie Irving. Now, like I said, if Nick Friedel was you know yelling at him or you know demeaning him, then I could say, okay, I mean it is what it is. But he didn't do that. So good pick, homie. So for me, uh, it was really hard for me to pick one because there was two because we had missed uh, around two weeks or so. So I'm gonna do a, a home a kind of a co homie of the week because I couldn't pick between. I didn't want to miss either of these guys' major accomplishments here. So my first one, and they're, I mean, they're both Chicago players, so I guess that's the relation here. But the first one is uh, DeMar DeRozan, the Marvelous. He became the 50th player of all time to reach 20,000 career points. And I wanted to go ahead and give him some love for that. He is... He averages about 21 points a game for his career. And the thing that was most impressive to me is that if you look at the players who have scored 20,000 points in their career, say at least three-quarters of them are either Hall of Famers or going to be Hall of Famers. But the way that he did it was impressive to me. So he has scored 1,400 points in nine NBA seasons. And at least he's scored at least 1,400 points in nine of his seasons. And he had a career high 2,118 last season. 
And also the thing that stands out for me is that he did this in 963 regular season games, which is on the lower end of the fastest to do it. He's kind of just behind Tim Duncan. And he's ahead of players like Clyde Drexler, Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, Reggie Miller, Chris Paul, etc. to get there this fast. So that's something that's impressive for me too. And also there was a stat that he scored, I want to say, at least 67%, could even be 80% of his total points scored in his career were on twos, not threes. So if you think about a guy who's, you know, he's a master of the mid-range, he's one of the best in the league at the mid-range game, being a guy who's kind of scoring that way, it's really impressive to see, especially in the NBA that we play in now, a guy who's a mid-range magician almost scoring that many points and being that consistent, having kind of a career resurgence. And I think he's uh, definitely one of the most underrated players in the league, I'd say for sure, given like what he's accomplished so far. And I think he's, he's still playing at a really high level. And I think he's he's definitely, by the time his career is over, I think we're going to be looking at him and probably in the Hall of Fame, I would say, given all his, his career accomplishments. And I have a couple a couple quotes that I actually got from him on this accomplishment that I actually saw from him from this accomplishment that I thought really kind of epitomizes the type of player that he is. So when asked about his personal and his professional success, DeMar said, quote, just being a kid from Compton, man, my only goal was to make it out of Compton and have a better life, whatever that was. When I got to the NBA, I wanted to be a guy that lasts and be around for a long time. To be here would be something I never would have imagined. And it also goes on to say that 67% of his points are on two-pointers. So two-thirds of his points have been from two, not three. Um, so that's something there. And it's just, it's just a really, it's a really good accomplishment for him, I think. For a really, a really kind of underappreciated player throughout his career, he's just been he's been really solid uh, his entire career. I just want to give him some love there for for Demarvelous DeRozan. And um, asked if what he thought about getting this career mark, he said, "quote I'd be lying to you if I tell you I thought that. I really just think day by day. I don't ever, I don't try to ever look too far ahead of anything because it may not come. You don't want to set up predetermined disappointment in yourself. And so I just try to do one thing at a time." If that adds up to whatever it adds up to, I'll be happy with that. So I want to make him one of my co-homies of the week, DeMar DeRozan. So congratulations on the 20,000-point club, one of only 50 players to do that in NBA history. And then transitioning to a more recent one, I wanted to make sure I give some love. I did last show, but I want he, he set the single-game record for rushing yards for a quarterback mm-hmm. with 178. And he also, he had three passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown, completed 60.7% of his passes for 123 yards. So over 300 yards total, but he also had four touchdowns, one rushing, three passing. And this was in a loss, too. He kind of carried that that Bears team. He's continuing to look really good. They put up 29 two weeks ago, 32 this week. And he's looked, he's been... Very impressive. And I think the most impressive part about this, aside from the, the record that he sets, was that this the last time a Bears quarterback received NFC Offensive Player of the Week was Mitchell Trubisky in Week 10 of 2018. And Trubisky is also the last offensive Bear to receive the award, period. So it's not like this is a really common thing for Bears offensive players. So 
the first one in four years now. I just want to give him some love and continue to see that he's kind of blossoming, being everything that I thought that we thought that he would be going into that draft. And I'm like that he's kind of living up to that. So DeMar DeRozan, Justin Fields, Justin Sandy, DeMarvelous, you are my homies of the week. Great picks, homie. Two uh, pretty pretty big uh, monumental events there in the uh, Windy City. So, um, yeah, shout-outs. Shout-out to both DeMar DeRozan and uh, Justin Fields for, yeah, breaking some records and joining some pretty lofty company. Um, so, yeah, that, that'll be it for our show this week. Uh, it was a long one, but we had lots to uh, catch up on. And, yeah, we'll look forward to recording next week and digging into some more pigskin and hoops. But um, any closing thoughts, homie? I appreciate you to the listeners. It means a lot to us that you check us out for any length of time. And it's a good time talking with you, homie. I look forward to doing it again soon. All right. Well, we'll catch up with all of you uh, next week. And I uh, hope everyone has a great weekend enjoying pigskin and maybe some uh, hoops if you can find the time. But uh, until then, peace out, homies. Talk to you later.